The so-called great bastards of Aegon IV, the unworthy, are the children he sired on noble women. He had children with non-noble women as well, of course, but of all of them, of all those children, only four that we know of spent any significant time at court. Three, of course, were key players in the Blackfire rebellions, while one, our subject today, had a more mysterious role. Possibly a huge one, possibly a distant, calculatedly distant one. Recently, we spoke of how Celtigar, or Celtigar, uh, both of them, we spoke of both of them, and a, an excellent <laughs> example of soft power. Rather than wielding direct control or influence over cities, castles, armies, other lords and such, they wield power over the people who do have power over those other things. Today's subject, Chiara Seastar, was far wait, from... Wait, wait, I think it's Chiara Keystar. Go, Chiara Keystar. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's right. Chiara Key. Car. Kitar. <laughs> was far from. Oh, wait, she's today's cubject. <laughs> Damn, this is difficult. Difficult. Difficult, yes. <laughs> she was far from impoverished, but she didn't wield great wealth either. Her influence came from extraordinary birth, extraordinary beauty, and the fortitude to make use of both at court where such influence matters most. She was a clever person. Not to mention the rumor she and her mother used sorcery and that she and Bloodraven used sorcery. We'll think about, play with what kinds of magic she might have used and in what circumstances, because we're not entirely that sure. Was, that was a rumor? It was a rumor. <laughs> it was a little more than a rumor, I'd say, but a strong rumor. She lived during... Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not after Yes. You. Just because it's a rumor doesn't mean <laughs> you weren't really a sorcerer. Thank you, Nirvana, for that one. Yeah. <laughs> not to mention the room. Yeah, so they use sorcery, and we'll, we'll think about what kinds of magic they would have used. She lived during the type of... During the era, rather, where dragon dreams were prominent, and spycraft was key because there was a lot of mistrust and uncertainty in the, in the realm, especially in the, in, around the Red Keep. She, as characters written by George R. R. Martin are known to do, flips the script on beautiful women in a patriarchal society. Far from being a part of it all and marrying into power, she went her own way and reaped the rewards of being single and exceptional. She bucked the system, and it seemed to work out pretty well, though we are left with a lot of gaps in her life. Some caveats are to be made there. But she wasn't just the greatest beauty of her age. She was. She was highly intelligent. She spoke a dozen languages and possessed an arcane library that she was said to have treasured. Meanwhile, the most treasured metal, gold, she found to be vulgar. I like to think it's because the pursuit of wealth is a distraction. You know, she was interested in higher arts and intellectual things. And I don't know, I'm just guessing though. And that's what we have to do a lot of today is make some guesses. But two of the biggest pursuers of her hand in marriage were none other than Blood Raven and Bittersteel, who were, of course, in Targaryen family tradition, all siblings of each other. Only half-siblings this time, but still, yeah, it's still incest. <laughs> but they're fully violent towards each other, Bittersteel and Blood Raven. They hated each other, and Shiera apparently enjoyed pitting them against each other, though with all things said about her, we have to take them with a grain of salt. Maesters and historians don't tend to understand this type of person very well, and George understands that when he writes it. But her influence over Bittersteel and Bloodraven, her half-siblings, is cited as a factor in starting the Blackfire Rebellions. That might be a stretch, but it's not entirely untrue, so we'll talk about that as well. We also never hear what Damon himself thought of his half-sister, Shiera, Seastar, who was a good 10 or so years younger than her. So we'll have to think about that as well. A few stabs at 
what that might have looked like. And all that, all this mystery and intrigue only serves to add more curiosity to a character already steeped in so much. We'll explore all that and more on this episode of History of Westeros podcast. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome, everybody, back again with another episode that I hope you will find highly entertaining and informative and whatever other positive adjectives you want to apply to it, I think we're open to it. Sean, how's it going? We're, we're fresh back from Ice and Fire Con. The three of us will we'll throw in an anecdote or two around the midway point, depending on time. We didn't do a, a full Ice and Fire Con episode this time. We occasionally do, but, you know... A few things will be said, but we didn't have like a David J. Peterson attendance this time where there was a lot of new info that most people hadn't heard before. There's almost some, only so much we can talk about, you know, going to parties. <laughs> but there are a few things we'll say if we have time. But yeah, you got any, any beverage today or anything you want to talk about to kick us off? I've got a, a list of things. Yeah, One, yeah. I, w- I didn't want people who didn't go to the con to miss out on my new shirt, The Rizzard. <laughs> the Rizzard. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, you know, the, maybe not, can't do a whole podcast about, you know, Parties and fun times that we had at the at the con, and and some of you just kind of have to experience stuff that we love, like the musical that they do. But also, man, I'm telling you, some of the panels that I went to were inspiring, and some of the ones that I did, I'm like stewing over. Could we make an, an episode about prisoners? Oh yeah, so a, I'm sure we can. I'm really still stirred on that. Like, was not possibly able to cover it all in one hour. So. Yeah, that's the um, thing. It's funny those panels. You go in there and you you have like less time, far less time than you have in just a single podcast episode that we're doing. You know, that's the nature of it. <laughs> I guess I don't have the typical bang because that's hard to find right now. But I got Red Bull and Sparkling Ice and Dr. Pepper and a naked drink. But also, just because I'm worried that I'm, I'm getting too bored and then people got a taste of my drinks at the con and it might have been too tame. Here I have soy sauce mixed with pickle juice. Ah! What no! the hell? No! And Shay, I want you to do a poll and ask people if I should no. sip it throughout or take it like a shot all at once. Okay, so. okay. okay. <laughs> Holy crap. I'll take a little sip now just to prove I'm willing uh. That's like actually just... I really love soy actually sauce. actually just Coca-Cola. Really... He's just pretending. That's just some brown mm-hmm. liquid. <laughs> wow, that is... Yikes. It came up in some conversation at the con that, that you know, Rita told on me that when I have sushi, when I get hey. done, the little thing of soy sauce, I, I drink the rest of it because I love it so much. I don't want it to go to waste. I said in the poll, <laughs> should Sean sip or take it as a shot? And I give the answers as shot, sip. No! <laughs> Shay is good at polls, as we're so seeing So far, here. shot is winning for sure, for sure. It's, it's in the lead right. with 13. Just it's going to be shot or no. No one has said sip. Shot sip. has won. Yeah, Everyone wants you to get sip. this over with. 
I want to sip it because I like the flavor so much. <laughs> no. But I thought other people you yeah. like the flavor so much. <laughs> oh, I love soy sauce. But with pickle juice, I just, I'm so taken aback right now. Shara Steestar has her secrets to eternal beauty. I have mine. Shara soy sauce. <laughs> Sean soy sauce star. Yeah, okay. But okay. I, I guess you're doing soy the shot. Star. One soy person star. has voted for sip. And it's, it's shot. Do the shot. Gosh. Shara I'll soy I'll do it real star. quick. Shiera but I do have Steve. another on-topic point okay. that I wanted to make after I do this. Uh, oh, my God. He's doing really it. That's a long shot. That took several seconds. <laughs> Yeah, it was, might have been more than a shot. Oh, that God. was... Okay. Mm, mm. And I'm now like... Ugh. I'm like... Mm. I wish I had a little bit more. People, we're we're going to be talking about... One of the topics in this episode is ba- bathing in blood to keep your beauty. Like, this is far <laughs> grosser than what... Than that. <laughs> uh, there's a good chat bathing here. soy sauce to was keep it, There's your... a good response here from Karen Hightower, who we met at the con and who had your drinks at the con. She said, Sean, I know you'll read this later. I know I promised I wouldn't laugh anymore after the drinks at the con were so good, but... but you've taken it too far. Speaking uh, of bangs, it's funny. Yes, they, as we mentioned in, in a previous episode, yes, they did, they did lose some big lawsuit about false advertising. And it was because of what you said, Sean, right? They don't, they don't really have creatine in the drink. And mm-hmm. it says, so what were we doing? We went to go to Target right before the con and to, to bring drinks to the con because we're driving. What do we do? At, what do we see at the, at the end cab at, at Target where you check out and buy drinks? A bunch of bangs sitting there that say super creatine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. So we bought those, of course, as you know. So people who were... And consumed them. Yeah, as people who were there got to have some Roswell Target bangs. I had my first Sean drink because last year Sean did the drink bar and I just forgot to get a drink and I never tried it last <laughs> Yeah, it was year. actually. It was actually pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> mine was tasty. It was Anyways, just tangy yeah, and, and I, It was a lot more tasty than soy sauce and pickle juice. Yeah, I'm not trying that. <laughs> that, that yeah, not, yeah. So anyway, let's get to it. I had an on-topic point I wanted to okay. make because I don't think we get to it later on because I do remember that quote about, I don't know, I think it was something Cher herself said, but someone talking about her thinking that gold was vulgar. That was a quote from Cher himself. So yeah, it's direct. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I, I just hadn't thought about it much until you brought it up just now. I don't think we have it somewhere else. So if you don't mind, I just a quick thought on it. I wonder if there's some amount of like parallel there to like Sandor kind of having this disdain for knights, even though... Mm. He's a knight. I kind of, you know, she is sort of this royalty that's in this privileged position, but maybe she still has this disdain for it. I, guys, I agree with you. If, if she wouldn't have necessarily thought about Robert Baratheon, but I'm, I'm just thinking of her perspective being kind of like Sandor's. Like if Robert Baratheon is her father was Aegon the Unworthy by gold. Yeah, exactly. and he's adorned by gold. Screw this gold. Yeah, and this right? guy's like, a jerk. Yeah. And yeah, screw like, the knights. Screw the gold. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I totally agree with you. I, I, the more I was working this episode, the more I got the picture in my head. Canon was of someone that just thinks this is all really stupid, and that everyone like politics and all this family squabbling and their system of monarchy just thought it was all stupid. I've got books. Like this is smarter. This is a better use of my time because she she seems to be very neutral. Like when when the, the wars and everything's happening, we have nothing on her taking sides or at least maybe playing both sides. If anything, yeah, she's just like this is just entertainment because it's just so dumb. Like you guys are idiots. Like I'm not going to marry you. <laughs> Marriage is stupid. Why would I marry you? It's dumb for me. It's a bad choice for me given society and the way everything works. Like why would I do that? <laughs> also, Too mixed up in that might be. And I, I mentioned this later on when we're going through some stuff, but. I wonder if she might have also had some influence of a, a vision of a prophecy. I wonder Entirely if she might possible, have. Yeah. Yeah. Whether it's that might make her think less of the goal because she's like, there's more important stuff. Mm-hmm. Might make her think less of like 
marriage or some and even personal love or whatever, because it's like we got to save the world. You yeah. don't understand. You know, she she might have some bigger vision that the other people are too caught up in themselves to see, and she might be prudent. She might know, like we've talked about a lot of times, some of these characters might have these visions. No, they can't just go off telling everyone about it because they'll think they're crazy. Yes. And we know Maybe Blood Raven was a in little it. bit, and that's why people think she's a sorcerer, you know, yeah. already, you know. So. And of course, Blood Raven presents this to Bran in the tree, and this was his lover, you know, and she, they were supposed to have done magic together, and, and she lived during the time when that prophecy was rediscovered. Like that was Ares the first who, who really gets credit for that. So there's a lot to do with that. We'll get into it in greater detail as we move through this episode. We're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but that's okay. That's all in good fun. Shout out to Nina, who added some great thoughts to this episode, as he, she so often does. Her blog is at goodqueenally.tumblr.com. That's one L in Alley. Latest blog post is on uh, Viserys II. Not too far off of, of this topic, Viserys II would be uh, Shiera's uncle. And she talks about whether the loyalty to his elder brother and how that would have maybe played out in being hand of the king for his children, who became kings after his death. Very interesting. Some good parallels there. And of course, it's the human heart in conflict with itself. So you're going to want to check that out as well as a lot of her other great blog posts. If the episode ends and you want to stay immersed, we've got you covered with suggestions for topics related to Shira Seastar. We'll list them off at the end. Next week, we'll be talking about a, an unusual episode. It's a combination of a sort of a, not an influences episode, but a parallels episode. We do influences sometimes. This is more of a parallels episode, but it's, it's going outside of A Song of Ice and Fire. We're going we're gonna to discuss parallels between the Blackfire Rebellions and a little bit of the Targaryen Dynasty, but mostly the Blackfires and the Mandalorian Civil Wars. So we're going to get into some Star Wars stuff. Sean won't be here next week. He's not into Mandalorian anyway, so it kind of fits our schedule pretty well. So that episode was not voted on. <laughs> this Shara Star was. And there is, of course, votes on most weeks on Patreon. We have votes for upcoming episode topics. So if you are a patron, you get to participate in that. I will say I am into Andor. So if we can find some parallels to Andor, I'm all about well, that. Well, Andor, <laughs> Sandor, it's like almost now. <laughs> oh, oh, we gotta start. <laughs> the name is, that's all I got. Yeah, a trivia question also is at the end, the answer is at the end of this episode. Big Bucket Wall wants to bathe in Bolton blood. It's alliterative, but he's not meaning to take an actual bath in a tub filled with blood. It's a metaphor for revenge on the Boltons. Several women are rumored to have literally bathed in blood, including our subject today, Shiera Seastar, but also Danelle Lofton, Alice Rivers, even Danny has that rumor said about her. Allison was rumored to have wanted to do it to one of her enemy's wife and children. Some of those rumors might even be true. Two men we know to have for sure bathed in blood in A Song of Ice and Fire. Can you name one or both of these men? As we so often do, we start with first mention. Here we go with a nice quote to get us started. Daenerys Targaryen loved her captain, but that was the girl in her, not the queen. Prince Rhaegar loved his lady Lyanna, and thousands died for it. Daemon Blackfire loved the first Daenerys and rose in rebellion when denied her. Bitter Steel and Bloodraven both loved Shiera Seastar, and the Seven Kingdoms bled. The Prince of Dragonflies loved Jenny of Oldstone so much, he cast aside a crown, and Westeros paid the bride price in corpses. All three of the sons of the fifth Aegon had wed for love, in defiance of their father's wishes. And because that unlikely monarch had himself followed his heart when he chose his queen, he allowed his sons to have their way, 
making bitter enemies where he might have had fast friends. Treason and turmoil followed as night follows day, ending at Summer Hall in sorcery, fire, and grief. A lot to unpack with that quote. First of all, just the fact that Shiera is connected or listed alongside some of these greatest tragedies in Westeros history, greatest civil wars, is pretty telling. On the other hand, it seems to be exaggerated. The Blackfire Rebellions weren't rooted in Bloodraven and Bittersteel, both loving Shiera Seastar. It played a role in their rivalry, but take Shiera Seastar completely out of the equation. And there's the first Blackfire Rebellion for sure. And there's still probably the rest as well. It probably doesn't change a whole lot for them. I mean, look at this example of what he says. Damon Blackfire loved the first Daenerys and rose in rebellion when denied her. That is just false. <laughs> that didn't, that's not what happened. He was denied her, yes, but he didn't rise in rebellion until like eight years after Daenerys got married to <laughs> the Prince of Dorne. So that's not, it, 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 the evidence for that is not very strong. The source for this quote, of course, is Barristan. Barristan has all sorts of wrong ideas about love and romance as a man who's never had either and has, was forced to give those things up as a Kingsguard. I, I detect a little bit of sour grapes in all this. It's like, yeah, see, what, see how dangerous love is? That's why it's good to be a Kingsguard because you don't have to deal with any of that. So Barristan not only is inexperienced with it, he gets a little of his history wrong, but I think there's also a little of just denial of the truth of all this because it suits his FOMO, maybe. I would even want to try to spin it more positively than that. It's just the filter he has. He lived his whole life with this idea that like people in these key positions of power and responsibility can't get too mixed up in emotional romantic relationships because it gets in a way. I mean, do you think Amon has sour grapes? Hmm. You know, like he had a similar mentality, but I don't think we spin him negatively. Yeah, when we, no, that's a good when point. We talk about it, you know, that's a very so. good point. Not to necessarily spin Barrison totally positive. He maybe is being a little dishonest with himself. But but I don't think it's like right now he's lying to himself because he wants to get Dario. Agreed. I think yeah. through his life, he has established this mindset and he's applying it to Dario now. Personal relationships can really screw things up and cause great turmoil within a realm. Like just two people's romances yeah. can cause everything to go wrong. He's right about that. Even if his specific examples are a little exaggerated, even if he's pushing the point a little far. He's right in general yeah. that relationships, just two people's falling out can cause a civil war or, or two people fighting over a lover or being jilted. Yeah, like all those things. It's true. Like Robert Baratheon and Lyanna, like that's his rage towards Rhaegar was beyond <laughs> reason because of, partly because of things that weren't even true. But yeah, how we interpret his thoughts from a, I don't know, like a, a literary analysis way or a like a wisdom of leading way there's also the, we're trying to suss out the history of things way. And this is sus as far as <laughs> yeah. the, the details of history, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Nina agrees that Damon Blackfire represented a truly different political position from that of Daron II. And that had way more to do with why war broke out. It was the, the way people treated the Dornish versus the falling off of knightly virtues and a whole lot of things. We talk about it in Daron the Good episode in our Blackfire Rebellion series. So, yeah, and the same goes for this tragedy of Summerhall, as you mentioned here, Sean. That's, yes, Summerhall happened, and it, it was a huge tragedy. But pinning it all on allowing people to marry for love is, is going too far. That was, that was a factor. But <laughs> putting it all on that is, no, that's, Egg's dreams didn't come from 
jilted love and his <laughs> his plan to hatch dragons wasn't born from his kids, his kids falling in love falling, outside yeah. of their yeah. marital or you know royal obligations. Exactly. As far as we know, it might be interesting to find out. Yeah, Maybe there's something about Summerhall that, that Barristan knows and we don't. Yeah, you know that's a good point because Barristan was alive during Summerhall. I mean, he was he wasn't there, but he was a teenager when it happened. So he, he well, yeah, he has a little more. He would have more insight to it than than we've gotten at this point. I do hope he thinks about it as well. So, and Barristan, again, as I said, he doesn't have a lot of experience with, well, any experience with relationships, really, or, or women. So does that apply to maesters, who are the main source here? This is a char- type of character that they don't understand well. I mean, they don't understand a lot of people well because they're closeted academics, which is, you know, that's just a thing that comes with the lifestyle. You don't have a lot of experience talking to people and living a life outside of academia. You get some things wrong, right? You get other things really, really right. (laughs) But magic, not so well. Women, if you're living only with men, you're not going to have a lot of insight there and relationships for the same reason. You know, unless you're, you know, even if you are gay and have relationships with another maester, that's a different sort of relationship than the type we're talking about here between royalty, between people that have massive influence over the entire realm in ways that are hard to perceive. And also something that they wouldn't let bleed out in their writings. That's true. And even if they did, like say someone, I don't know, became a maester, didn't even start trying to be a maester until they were into their 30s. Maybe they had gotten married, had kids, their wife died or something, whatever it is, where maybe they would have a better, more worldly experience or perspective there's still a certain filter that they're going to have to write and study through, right? Yeah. All the other maesters are downplaying magic. And whatever they write, the king might execute him if he doesn't like it. You know, on and on, you can see all these reasons why they might not say what they really want or know about Shira or whoever else. Because yeah, maybe it was even literally burned or edited out after the fact. Yeah, they have to toe sort of the, yeah. the line there in terms of what's accepted and expected. That's a great point you made there about talking about magic. Like Maester Eamon... And Archmaester Marwyn, for example, would basically say these things like, yeah, you can't just, you want poison in your porridge, you know, <laughs> don't talk about that. Like, he goes really far with it, like, whoa, they're going to kill you? I, I thought they would just like shun you or, or talk down to you or like drum you out, you know, not murder you. Like, wow, I didn't know it was that serious, but. It might just be a laxative. It might not be a, <laughs> a deadly poison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something to keep you out of the way for a while. So let's talk about her early life. This is a little familiar. She wasn't a Hightower, but she was indirectly the result of Hightower ambition. And we're only talking, y'all, about 50 years. She was born about 50 years after the Dance of the Dragons. So these are Hightowers that are probably related to... Well, definitely related to their Hightowers. Definitely. I mean, mean like closely related to Otto and Leighton and... Not Leighton, Otto and Ormond and the other Hightowers of the era of the Dance. So this might be... We might be talking about some of their children or grandchildren here in a minute. But the downside of not knowing about enough about Shiera is the obvious. We have less to say than we would about other characters. The upside is that we get to come back someday with new information and play around with that. And in the meantime as well, we get to play around more with people she's connected to, like her parents. A lens into one of our favorite periods, the Blackfire Rebellions, is of course a big part of this. She was least impacted by Aegon the Unworthy as compared to all the other children of Aegon the Unworthy because she was his last child. And he died pretty close after she was born. So she, he, she didn't have to like suffer having this horrible father around. That probably is a good thing. You usually want your father around, but 
this one of those cases where it's probably good that he wasn't. She was the least changed by his deathbed legitimization too, given how far down the line of succession she was and because she's a woman and, and you know women don't tend to inherit. So she was less of a quote-unquote threat in terms of the succession, which by the way, doing the math, her half-siblings had already been fighting over her before the Black Fire Rebellion. She would have been like 10 or 12 when they started mm-hmm. kind of fighting over her, which is kind of yikes. More on that yeah. later. Mm-hmm. She's also a great window into the reign of Daron II, a welcome change for Westeros because Daron was good. I mean, he was Daron the Good, and that was a, a, a wonderful turnaround from Aegon the Unworthy. So she probably liked her half-brother Daron more than she liked her father's memory. Though, of course, like with the word memory there, that's what it was. It was a memory. She would have them not much of an actual relationship. So yeah, her father, Aegon the Fourth, the Unworthy. Circa 178, 179, Aegon catches Terence Toyne with Bethany Bracken, right? We remember that from the Aemon the Dragon Knight episode more recently, and as well as the Aegon the Fourth episode many years ago. Both of them were executed cruelly. So is Bethany Bracken's father, who was Hand of the King. So that opens up the spot for both a new hand of the king and a new main mistress for Aegon. Now, Aemon the Dragon Knight, of course, dies defending him from Toyn Revenge, which also opens a spot in the Kingsguard and also maybe keeps an obstacle out of the way for even greater scheming because Aegon or Aemon was, you know, such a good guy in place close to the king and was probably a buffer against a lot of bad things that became more frequent after his death. So what happens is this guy, John Hightower, Nina suggests maybe he was the son of Lord Lionel and Samantha Tarly. That would, that would fit pretty well. If that's true, Lord John would be very close to Aegon's age because Aegon was born in 135, four years after the dance ended. So if this person was a child of people who got together during the dance, he would be very close at Aegon's age, which would give them something in common, would maybe give him a little more of an in to man- manipulating slash influencing him. There's so many obvious things a high tower lord would want from a king. Just a slight reduction in taxes would mean so much money for them. Or like a, a complete waiving of taxes on certain goods would be a windfall. There's so many opportunities for corruption here. And it was extremely well established by the end of Aegon the Unworthy's reign that the way to get favors from him is to bring him a woman he's into. Which, and John went all out here. He went and found an incredibly beautiful woman from Lys, Serene, Sweet Serene was her name. Why they called her Sweet Serene is odd because apparently she was proud and haughty and cold. <laughs> Doesn't sound like a very sweet person at all. It seems purely rooted in her looks or maybe. You no, know, it's a like better. when they call someone like Will Kev, but he's real big. <laughs> yeah, Sweet D, sweet right? Sweet D, it's a Sweet D situation. Yeah, <laughs> Not it's sweet real at all. Salty. Yeah, sour. It could have called her Sour Serene, really. It might have changed over time. She might have started out as sweet and become bitter as oh, yeah. with her experience at King's Landing. You know, mm, having to be mistress to this guy is yeah doesn't probably doesn't uplift you. <laughs> probably doesn't like- or if she was treated as an outsider, you know, yeah. she came in kind and naive and helpful, and everyone treated her like crap. Well, big surprise! Suddenly, she's not sweet anymore. <laughs> yeah. And so consider the way the High Towers tried to manipulate Viserys and get their way into the royal family. This is more of a proxy version of that. He's like, I'm going to gain favor with the royal family, but I'm not going to directly embroil the High Towers in it. So he, he's kind of controlling this woman that he brings her from lease, and she's got very little connection to anyone there. So she's sort of isolated. So she kind of needs John and or Aegon to do anything to 
go beyond being a, a gilded cage persona at court. It's a clever move by John. It's, it's following the, the path that's been laid out by prior hands of the king, even though that resulted in execution brutally for Lord Bracken. John Hightower was game to try and not make the same mistakes. Let's talk about Serena here for a second. There's all these other mistresses as well that are politically connected. And that was always a problem. Like Melissa Blackwood, her being a Blackwood became a problem because the Brackens got involved and pushed back. And of course, before that, there were Brackens. And after that, there were Brackens. This Bracken-Blackwood thing going back and forth. She's not involved in any of that. She's not connected to any of these families. She's got no political baggage, right? There's no, this family hates her family. Like they don't, no one in Westeros even knows her family, right? They have no connection whatsoever. They're, she's just looks Valyrian because she's got the silver hair and the, and the, I guess she had blue eyes, the Serena did. And just none of that stuff that would make her a political liability. But there's more to it than this. I find this angle really clever and insidious and cynical on Lord John's part. Remember that Aegon's mom was Lysenia and she left when he was young. That's going to mess you up, I think. Your mom leaves when you're three or four. At least it could. It's, it's, not, the, it's not an excuse for why he was such a bad guy, especially because someone like Eamon and Nerys, also their mother left and they were good people. Yeah. But he was the oldest and it maybe, maybe hit him the hardest. Nerys would may have been too young to even remember it. But they both became very extreme individuals. Eamon very like chivalric and, and dutiful and Aegon, well, the complete opposite. These extreme personalities might be rooted in their mother leaving early on. So this might be a little bit of psychology, like play on his mommy issues by finding him a Lysenny woman that maybe even kind of looked like his mother. And just the psychological impact of that could be substantial. And from Lord John's perspective, it was probably all about getting whatever he could out of the king, you know, manipulating this guy to get favors. And like we said, tax write-offs and all that stuff. Wow, right? <laughs> like that's quite an angle. Hmm, bring in someone who's from his mother's nation. That's, that's probably not random. That probably isn't just an accident. It probably was calculated. And then, like you said, maybe she grew cold over time. That's why Lara left. That's why Lara Regar, Aegon's mom, left was because she was isolated and treated like a foreigner. And there was lots of prejudice. They mocked the gods she worshipped. There's like rumors about what she was doing behind closed doors. And she also didn't speak the language, which didn't help. That made her seem even more distant. Serenai did speak common as far as we know. Uh, it's possible she didn't, but we, didn't, we don't hear anything about that. She may have just been cold because no one accepted her and people were prejudiced against her. On the other hand, it provides an interesting possibility to keep her perception as someone that won't cheat. Remember what just happened? Bethany Bracken cheated on him. Now Aegon's maybe paranoid about his mistress cheating on him. A cold, proud woman that doesn't talk to anyone, that sort of doesn't give off the vibe that she's going to cheat, right? She's like, no, I'm too good for anyone but the king. That might be what he wanted at that point because he's paranoid about being cheated on. Someone that's too proud to sleep. It's not about looks and lust. It's about status with someone like that. A couple other angles. It could be that she was still sweet and warm and whatever else positive. But people just didn't like her, and that was a way to talk bad about her, or Very rumor possible. that it was spread, or yeah. a way to take her down a notch, or whatever. Or that, however cold or warm or kind or whatever, maybe she just was more virtuous and maybe even judgmental. Maybe some of the same black that Alicent gets. You know what I mean? That mm -hmm. she 
was trying to be loyal and honest and do, and other people weren't. And so she makes them look bad. So they talk bad about her and maybe people that really knew her or cared about her still thought she was sweet, but people who, plenty of people who might, who would have motivation to not like her or be distrustful would want to say that she was holier than thou or, you know, things that might be wrapped up in cold or haughty, you know. That's a good point. Of course, the being super hot came with a little bit of rumoring. There was rumor she used sorcery to stay beautiful. That is a recurring trope about women who keep their beauty, especially ones who have extreme beauty in stories like this, also in real life. Maybe not so much anymore, but in times past. Nina writes, this could be a little bit of an expression of xenophobia. There's lots of ambitious Westerosi nobles who want to marry their daughters to the king or the prince or to someone above them. They want to move up through marriage, right? They would hate the idea that this foreign woman is just prettier than all their daughters or wives or whatever, and would maybe take that personally, like a, a, like a little bit of Westerosi nationalism. Like, surely this foreign woman can't be the most beautiful woman in the country, right? <laughs> they just don't like that idea. It just touches on their prejudices. And well, sorry, y'all. <laughs> they said she was the most beautiful. We'll go with that. And with that, she's kind of isolated. She's not going to have, she's going to have hard trauma finding allies. And, but why did she come in the first place? She's not a slave. What's in it for her? Of course, she had this impeccable lineage. And we hear that her family had fallen on hard times financially. So there was probably a big payoff. This may have been the reverse of your normal scenario where there's a, when you get married, the, the wife's family pays a big dowry. This may have been, this was, sounds like the opposite where John Hightower paid off her family's debts or a lot of them in order to make this happen. So she may have been making some big sacrifice for her family by agreeing to come and be the mistress to the king in order to bail her family out. This may have been a very big deal to her family. Like she may have been like kind of a martyr to her family here in a sense. Might've been the other way around too. Yeah. Might've been like, you know, they sold her. the Hightowers might've had some, something over this oh. Lysini family. Okay. Like, you owe us X money. We owe your, we your house your burned debts. down. Yeah. So sad, but you still have to pay us. Yeah. We'll take your daughter. Yeah. You know, she might have been given up. You know? It may not have been slavery, but it may have been effectively slavery. Yeah. yeah. Which, I mean, a lot of these arranged marriages kind of are that. Like, the woman doesn't have, any, are, yeah. doesn't have any say in it. The difference I don't is, think I'm stretching to think that's what might have happened. Yeah. <laughs> like, Serena apparently was a little bit older. She wasn't in her 20s or anything. She wasn't a super young woman, but we don't actually know how old she was. Given the rumors that she used sorcery to keep her beauty, it sounds like she wasn't. But you don't start saying that when someone's 22. You know, like, she's just too young to look like that or too old to look like, what? She's 22, y'all. Like, what do you mean? That's another kind of missing piece here is, is how old Serena I was. Now, they probably did, a, they probably came out ahead on that. Her family, not her, but because, I mean, she dies in childbirth a few years later. So this definitely didn't work out great for her. But what other, you know, what other promises maybe had been extracted? There's a whole world of possibilities here. If Nerys was dying or dead by this time, we don't know when Nerys died, remember. She died after Aemon, but before Aegon. And we know that Serenai died before Aegon too. And this is all kind of a tight timeline, roughly in the years 180 to 184. There's already precedent for a Lyseni woman being a bride to a king of Westeros. In fact, Aegon's own mother, as we've already said. So that, that was not, or at least that way had already been paved. You wonder too, like what kind of influence did she have over? Like, was she using her influence to get more for her family? Like John's doing that. John Hightower is doing who knows what 
for his family via being handed the king to this corrupt king. What was she getting out of it besides the initial arrangement? Well, we don't really know, but we know that it couldn't have been great having to spend time with him, the this, this state of health Aegon was in. I like to think of him as... Take him as the combined versions of book and show Viserys I. Book Viserys never had that weird like leprosy thing that we saw on the show, but he did get heavier and heavier through excessive partying, eating and drinking, and his weight became a problem. Aegon IV did as well. But Aegon IV also had strange disease. And Anyway, here's a quote. I, I needn't explain it. This quote does a better job. <laughs> he was grossly fat, barely able to walk, and some wondered how his last mistress, Serenae of Lys, the mother of Shira Seastar, could ever have withstood his embraces. The king himself died a horrible death, his body so swollen and obese that he could no longer lift himself from his couch, his limbs rotting and crawling with flesh worms. The maesters claimed they had never seen its like, whilst Septons declared it a judgment of the gods. Aegon was given milk of the poppy to dull his pain, but elsewise, little could be done for him. This is very similar to the death of Sulla, the Roman consul. He had very odd flesh worms crawling in him like before he died. And he had slaves just pick them out every day and they couldn't couldn't control those crazy. And people said it was a judgment of the gods on him because if he had killed so many, so many people in his life. I believe we talk about it in the Egg on the Unworthy episode. It's been so long, I don't remember for sure. But anyway, more and more examples of potential taking advantage of a guy in ill health to make political calls like Otto and Allison did during the early before the dance broke out. And this guy, the sicker he gets, the less likely he's to participate in courtly decisions. He wasn't all that interested in the first place in being a, you know, being a king in terms of ruling his people. He liked what the crown did for him in terms of slaking his thirsts and appetites and lusts, but not so much taking care of people. With that notable difference here that Alice and Otto were at, were, you know, or Otto more so, I suppose, or Alice, book Alice and maybe more so, were aiming for the throne. Whereas here, they're just more aiming for influence. They weren't trying to displace the Targaryens. They weren't trying to marry a child into this current state of family. They couldn't. Like, Daron, the heir, is already married to Mariah Martell, his sister Daenerys, married to Maron Martell. So there wasn't any way into the royal family that way. That, this was, that path was kind of blocked. So this is what was available. And very risky, in a sense. They couldn't go too far with the king's power. They'd seen what happened to Lord Bracken. But... They also had maybe limited time left. They could see the writing on the wall. This king's got flesh worms crawling in his body. How much more time does this guy have on this earth? He doesn't, this is not a picture of health. They had to know that whatever influence they had was going to be limited in time. So they would have had to make their moves quickly, if at all. So this is something that I'd never really thought about until, think, until this episode, which is the possibility that Damon Blackfire when he was given the sword, Blackfire, and before he was actually named Damon Blackfire, that was in the year 182. And this is when he revealed, uh, that Aegon revealed that this child was actually his son. It had been kept under wraps. It was maybe an open secret, but he hadn't officially said, yeah, this is my son. He did that after Damon won that Squires tournament. So this decision to, to give Damon the sword and his deathbed legitimizations two years later 
happened during this period where John Hightower and Serene had influence over him. So you wonder if they had any play here. Did they suggest this? Like they knew, knew he wanted to get back at his son. They knew he hated his son and wanted to you know, usurp him, and, but failed given his prior plotting. So maybe this was an idea, kind of like how Littlefinger gave Joffrey the idea to execute Ned. You could easily say, oh, Joffrey would, would have done that on his own, but he didn't think of it. Yes, if he had the idea on his own, he would have done it. But he needed someone smart with an ulterior motive to give him that idea and let him run with it. I kind of think there might, there's room for that here. I, more than kind of. It's possible. It doesn't need to have happened. Like, what's their angle? But They might have planted the seed, you know? Yes. Even if they didn't have a, a master plan, or even if they didn't do it intentionally, they might have just said something like, well, what if you legitimized all your bastards? And, you know, just one conversation, he's drunk. Or if they did have some ulterior motive, just again, you're thinking about king it. King has the power to do that. Just like I'm, just saying, the king. You're, you know, that's that's within your power. A king could do that. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty compelling. He might have even used it as a threat and didn't really mean it. Yeah, but if enough people say, "What if you really did do it?" You don't mean that. Like he might have been pushed into it just to show them yeah. his boss. You know, yeah. if you want to go a little farther with it, <laughs> one idea I had would be that they were thinking maybe they could if. Serena gave birth to a daughter. She, maybe this happened while she was pregnant. She could, they could plan on maybe betrothing this daughter to, to Damon one day. Now, mm. this, day, this, this is a 12-year age gap, so it's not the smoothest arrangement, but it could be done. And it's, it's possible anyway. Or they may have had other plans for this child. But Serena died, apparently not during childbirth, but shortly after, because she did give the name. It was her name. She chose the name Shiera. So there's a little bit of a, must have been enough time for her to say that name. Maybe she had already... She could have chosen that name before. She could have, even. yeah. That's true. She could have chosen it before she was born. She could like, if it's a boy, I'm going to call her this. If it's a girl, call it this. Yeah. But it's an interesting name because I feel like there's some, at least circumstantial evidence that the child, that Cher was born and that Serena saw her before she died. Because the name, Cher, a star of the sea, that's the full version. It's sea star is the shortened version. She has these striking one green, one blue eye. And I, I feel like that name comes from that. And I wonder, you, she would have had to see her to, to say that. I'm not sure about that. Like I said, that's kind of circumstantial. It's pretty much guesswork here. But also she's from Lise and they're an island nation. So I really wonder, I'm just curious what, what that name comes from. Like, why did she call her Star of the Sea? Like, this baby. Like, where does that nickname... Like, that wasn't... That's like something you earn as a nickname. Like, I have this Daenerys Stormborn shirt on. Well, she was born during a storm, so that fits. But mm. where does... Yeah, where, where did her mother come up with that? It's, it's a really cool, evocative name, but I, 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 there's not a lot to go on with where she pulled that from. I remain very curious. Nina isn't so big on this idea of this little conspiracy between Serenai and John Hightower, so she's a good person to have argue against it here. Push back on a little bit. It's easy enough to see this. None of this has to be in place for Aegon to have done all this himself. And there's any number of other corrupt counselors around him that could have planted the seed. It doesn't have to be these two or even this or even one of them. So yeah, I, the part I like about it is that Aegon isn't very clever and he needs other people to suggest schemes to him like Joffrey did. Like if he was smart, I think he wouldn't have been that hard for him to displace his son. It's just, he's just not smart enough to have done it, gone about it the right way. He did it, he did it with, as like a person who's angry. He approached it vindictively and with rage, not with calculus, not with logic, you know? So he's very petty about it. <laughs> 
you know, another piece of this that we didn't quite get into is the idea that Blackfire, the sword, wasn't quite the symbol in the past as it became. Yeah. Right. They made it one. Um, They were like, you got to make it a symbol. You got to do something with this. Yeah. Yeah. And whether Aegon thought that himself or someone planted that idea, or maybe it was something that was developing over time anyway, one, I can see how, especially over time, there would be new symbols, if you will. Yeah, right. And, and no I'm, 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 yeah. Right. And I'm and I, I'm reminded specifically there was a quote in House of the Dragon when they were trying to rush the new Aegon into into power, right? Like before anyone could respond. It wanted to get, let's have this, we need to have a public ceremony. We need to get the King's Guard and the Septon. And like Otto said, every symbol of legitimacy is ours. Yeah. You know, and we're trying to tell Rhaenys, you know, or Rhaenyra rather, like, your moment's passed. Sorry. Yeah. You know, possession is nine tenths of the law here. And she was hoping uh, they were hoping she would been... see it that way. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yes, look, we yeah. just overwhelmed you. Like, give up, you know? And so if some symbols of legitimacy had passed or diminished, or if the ones they had weren't quite enough and they needed another one, and if this one particularly fits the moment because we have this one warrior guy and this one not warrior guy, so put the sword in his hand, like, I think that's a need to dynamic to consider however it came about exactly. I agree. And it's just the one thing that really gets me is that it's just hard for me to see Aegon the fourth being clever enough to figure that out. I was like, I know, I'll make this the symbol. Like, he could have done it casually by accident. Like, I'm just going to give the sword away because he gave eggs away yeah. just for this and that. Like, he, he was known for just giving away valuable things. So that, it doesn't have to be a conspiracy or, or this calculated decision. But I definitely don't think he came up with that idea on his own without yeah. knowing what it would do. Well, I, I, he might have even come up with the idea on his own and given that sword away, and he didn't think it was relevant. Yeah. But retroactively, people who yes. had vested interests are like, think how big important this sword is. Why did he give it to me? And they would yeah. hammer that home. And if anyone bites that, they're going to run with it. Yeah, like it's entirely possible Serenai died before this even happened. But that still doesn't mean it wasn't like an idea that she or John Hightower planted. So there's, a, there's a, enough timeline fog here to create a lot of uncertainty but we do know that it's still happening within a pretty narrow range. Aegon died in 184. He gave da- Damon the blade in 182. And Serenai became his lover sometime after 179. So there's just all, it's all just pretty tightly packed in there. So let's, let's get to actual Shiera now. She obviously had to have been born before Aegon IV died or his deathbed legitimization wouldn't have even applied to her. That's how we know that Serenai died first. So she died probably 182, 183 a year or two before Aegon. It really sounds like Aegon wasn't even able to perform in bed in his final months, considering how overweight he got. So he may, this is, this maybe pushes Shira's birth back a little bit based on that. Maybe. Nina also says on the issue of naming her Shira, she suggests that he probably didn't care much about names or giving them names like that. Yeah, let the mom give them. I mean, he doesn't care. <laughs> so, Serenai now has a daughter of royal blood, which if she was an ambitious person, if this was part of her angle in the first place, like why did she accept this marriage offer in the first place? We're still, that's still an open question. Then she would have her piece, her pawn to maybe manipulate and use her own daughter. But then she dies in childbirth, so that's gone, you know. Since Aegon died in 184 and Shira's mother had died a little bit before that, that means both her parents are dead by the time she's like two at most. So she wouldn't even have a memory of him 
And if she did have a memory of him, it would be at his end, which would be terrifying for a two-year-old, whatever. Like, yikes, that's your dad. So think about this. This is like, Shira has this reputation for being kind of cold, maybe loveless, maybe playing with men rather than... I get it. She lost both her parents by the time she's two. Whatever memory she might have had of her father was terrible. And then just the memory of him and what he did was terrible. No parental love. No aunts or uncles, really, either. Only older siblings. And two of them were like trying to hook up with her when she was like 10. Surrounded by a tradition of incest. Yes, yes. Just total all that. No role models. No people, like being people being possessive over her. And rather than your brothers being protective of you, they're fighting over you, which is not great. That doesn't, it's not a loving environment. That doesn't teach you the value of camaraderie and, and healthy relationships. This is... Everything is a contest. Everything is people fighting for what they want. Everything comes down to personal desire. That's not a good spot for a child to be, I don't think, right? And also in a context of entitlement. They're also yeah. you know, wealthy. They're not worried about day-to-day stuff. They're not probably even worried about the lives of other people, much less the well-being of the or consideration and relationships, on and on. Yeah. Yeah. And so... Sometimes people say Shear never married as far as we know. No, we know she didn't marry. George said so. George said she never married. It's not a rumor. It came directly from George. So that's pretty straightforward. And yeah, so I just find that very compelling in a, in a very sad way. Like this is all these elements that would make her a distant, kind of loveless, like a lot of things you say about people who are too rich or too detached or just too not normal to not have a, you know, a lot of this fits Cersei. Yeah, it does. It does. A lot of his, she's got some combinations of Cersei and Daenerys, a little of Sansa, I suppose, because we see Sansa as a young person kind of stuck at court. But Shara seems like she had a lot more. She wasn't as, as demure as Sansa, kind of like maybe she got started a little fast. So much comp- competition around her, so much cutthroatness. She wasn't isolated in the North. She was right in the thick of things from the get go. Sansa also did get parental love and guidance, yes. and even if maybe a little misguided, but still, yeah, you know, Sansa's maybe a little more naive going in, like because she didn't start off in this. I'm going to say hostile environment of King's Landing, yeah. you know, like she Caesar would have come up from infant and beyond, where Sansa had a, you know, Sansa's naive ideas of the world. She might have gotten by with that in Winterfell, yeah, you know, Shear would never, but yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's something. Yeah, that's something that you could say they're opposites on. Like Shira would never, very unlikely, to ever have these like romantic ideals. And like the prince is going to come rescue. Like she was like, nah, that, that's all BS. <laughs> like that doesn't happen from her perspective. It's older men fighting over a young girl, like <laughs> a civil war, family squabbles, all this other stuff. Yeah, it's very different than like Sansa's life became that later. <laughs> but yeah, Shira's yeah. was that was like that from the from the beginning. And did Shiera have any connections to her Lysine family? Like, Serenai died so young, she may have been kind of cut off from that, but she may have had like a grandmother or something that got back in the, in the mix. But not her paternal grandmother was Lara Rogare, who was probably dead by then. And paternal grandfather, Viserys II, who was definitely dead by then. Maternal grandmother and grandfather, aka Serenai's parents, don't know who they were. They might have been alive, especially given what we said about Serenai probably not being really old. So her family, good chance, were still alive. And they were presumably Lysine as well. So there may have been some sort of, hey, our daughter is like the king's daughter over here. This is an inroad for us. They may have contacted her and been like, let's keep this relationship going. There could be some mutually beneficial arrangements here. Who knows? 
And if not about family, what about cultural connections? Did Shiera, was Shiera cut off from her culture by not having any family around her? Did her mother have like a retinue? Some of whom were Lyseni that some of them stayed with her and like a, some serving people that like a, I don't know, like the equivalent of ladies in waiting, something like that. I don't know how that works for mistresses at court, but she probably had some people like Lara Rogar had Sandok the Shadow and few other people whose names didn't get mentioned, but I feel like kind of like how Ned may have had a few more people with him at the Tower of Joy and how the Kingsguard Knights almost definitely did because like who's going to help them put on their armor and who's going to take care of this baby that Leon has? Like, right, there had to be other people. There's always a few other people around that don't get named by the histories, but these, these really rich people, they always have servants around them, right? Like, that's kind of a given. Even Sansa, who was basically a prisoner, still had attendants. She still had people, yeah. you know, washing her clothes and making her bed and escorting her around. And even, oh gosh, Tyrion's mistress. Shay? Shay, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. She maybe didn't have her own attendant, but she still had, I don't know, liberties and... Favors. Finances, benefits, if you sure. will. Favors, there you go. You know, yeah. she was better off. She was like, see, she was specifically secret and, and ostensibly a servant but still had values that the average person wouldn't have yeah. because of her connection to Tyrion. Absolutely. So, so imagine, you know, you go up a couple levels from that, from Shay to yeah. Shara, she's doing okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Anita asked a great question here. Given how her grandmother, Lara, and their family had been treated by Westeros, which was with a lot of xenophobia, what did we say? is a very intelligent person, probably very perceptive. She may have seen that and been like, I'm not going to, put myself in that position to be treated with all this prejudice. So I'm going to downplay my Lysani connections and not face what my grandmother faced. It's so interesting that it's her grandmother that faced that. I just didn't give that a lot of thought before working on this episode. But yeah, the connection between Lara Regari and Shira Seastar is not to be downplayed, even though they never met. Yeah, I'm really imagining Shara maybe sometimes getting comments about her grandmother, hearing about her grandmother, hearing negative things about Lara and like internalizing it. Even if people weren't saying it to her, they would have been like, yeah, like that B word, Lara, regard, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's very compelling. This is part of the setup for what would be going on at court between certain individuals and ways they would express their prejudice and, and maybe try, try to take her down a peg. Because she's, there's, there would be a lot of jealousy over her station and her beauty and things like that. And her fact, she's a foreigner because people suck and (laughs) hate foreigners. And she may have taken some pride, may have emphasized her Westerosi side. Like, yes, I'm, yes, I'm Lyseni, but she would emphasize that she's the daughter of the king. Yeah, I wonder how much she really internalized that xenophobia and hatred. Like, did she love and embrace her Lyseni heritage? Or did she downplay it and hate it about herself, right? Mm. Yeah, I really, yeah, it's a really open question. I really wonder. It's, it's, it's very compelling to think about such a thing. And I wonder if it's like the way she dressed. Like we said, she thought gold was vulgar. That's a really unusual position to take. And I, I, I'd like to read into that, like I said earlier in the intro, but it might just be something simple, like another way to stay out of it. Like I'm not a part of this. Like a way to mark herself as separate. Like I'm neutral. I'm... I'm reading my books. Like she's the reader, except if the reader was like super hot, so people wouldn't leave mm-hmm. him alone. Because we he's got a just... got a relevant a relevant chat earlier that I put in the I'll put here now. Okay, from Tuka Tuka, they said she doesn't like gold, yet Bittersteel has a golden company. 
difference <laughs> on the aesthetics, but also, yeah, like she didn't like gold. She thought it was vulgar. Yeah, he called. That's yeah. that's a really good yeah, catch. It's a very good catch. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. absolutely. I think I, I think it's on purpose. That's a great catch. Wow. Yeah, the Golden Company, and she hated gold. So she thought it was vulgar, not yeah. just yeah. <laughs> bitter steel was vulgar. Beneath the gold, the bitter steel. Like, yeah, that's why he's bitter. You didn't give your crush what she wanted. Like, what do you think, man? You think being combative is going to work? No, of course not. George has really laid some excellent groundwork for these personal relationships, which is what we started describing why Barristan perceives the squabbling over Shiera between Agor and Brendan as a crucial factor in the Blackfire rebellions. I like this point Nina had here. Yeah. About what, you know, the, the debate on whether Shira took pride or not in her life's any heritage. Nina compares it to Henry IV's granddaughter, Anne Marie Louise d'Orleans, who, when asked about her maternal grandmother, said that the woman was not her grandmother because she was not a queen. <laughs> yeah. I'm nice. only, yeah, if you're not a queen, you can't be my relative. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. Not really descended from you. That is haughty <laughs> right there. But yeah, yeah. I do wonder yeah, how haughty Shiera was. Um, <laughs> and I mean, so, and, and to be fair, you can be haughty and, and express that, but not really feel it deep down. Like she might have put on an air of haughtiness to mm. like protect herself, but might have mm. still had a lot of insecurities about her parentage and her, her grandparents and all of that. Same as this, likely this Anne-Marie Louise girl actually probably like said that, but like said it because she's bothered by her heritage. Mm-hmm. So an open question is what happened to Lord John after whether he cared what happened to Shiera, whether he just gave up his ambitions because Darren fired all of Aegon's small council. So he was, he was out. So he probably just went back to Old Town and went back to being Lord of the Hightower. Tough break <laughs> for him. But there is... That was Daron the Good, right? Yes, yeah. I can imagine the next king executing that council. <laughs> yeah, Daron was a bit too pious and trying to keep... He didn't want any... Yeah, you're executing Lord Hightower is a bit, <laughs> yeah. a bit risky. <laughs> we don't know if they maintained contact, if it mattered or... It's not clear. Like she, he was so much older. Shiera's only like two, three years old at this point. So it's not like he can like stay in contact via letter. You know. I They're, mean, it, yeah, it seems kind of strange to stay in contact with the bastard of the mistress you brought for the king. Yeah, yeah. It seems it's weird a transparent. And like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so in 184, right before Daron becomes king, she gets legitimized like all her siblings and others, all her half-siblings, the many of them. She wouldn't have understood exactly the significance of that at her age. But later, as she grew into it, she would have been like, huh, well. But like all the others, she didn't call herself Targaryen. And that's an open question as to why. Probably because it was dangerous, puts them in the line of fire, makes them a target, makes them dangerous. So Makes them a Targaryen. Makes them a Targaryen. Targaryen, yes. A few questions from y'all before we move into Shiera's later life. Lizzie Ives says, those poor mistresses, this is probably when reverse cowgirl was invented or whatever it was called then. I said reverse dragon rider. Reverse dragon rider, yeah, (laughs) seriously. Painkiller Jane says, probably from Serenai's island home. The star, the sea, sea, star of the sea name. And then yeah. Flippy Dippy Doo said, well, at least it's an island city-state with ports. Could see her being named in relation to that. Yeah, it does fit. I did and, think of that. I wonder. It, it's hard to think of anything else, honestly. I like that a lot. Painkiller Jane also pointed out her name could also be derived from Shiera Kakia, the Dothraki word for bleeding star. 
Yeah, let's Star. talk about that for a sec yeah. because, Sean, you noticed that too. Let me explain the word here. Shirak Kia is the Dothraki word for bleeding star, meaning the red comet in this context. The Shirak is star in Dothraki. Kia is bleeding. We know that because of, well, David Peterson wrote this language and it's not that hard to look these things up. Uh, so Shirak meaning star is very interesting, isn't it? That Shiera is sea Shiera, sea star. I think there's a somewhat straightforward explanation from this. Dothraki language probably derives in part from Valyrian. Valyria is way older than the Dothraki people, and they dominated that region for thousands of years. The Dothraki's language has some connection to the Valyrian language. Makes some sense to me, given proximity and time. I was surprised when we were when I was starting to do research for this episode. You know, one of the things I do is I'd go to Search of Ice and Fire, and you know search the topic or some subtopics or connected keywords or whatever. You know, I searched Sarah Seastar and there's like five results. And I'm like, how does this character have so much mystique around <laughs> her? And I like a, people will cosplay her and we're doing a whole episode and there's only five. So I thought oh, maybe there's a glitch. Let me let me just try just Sierra instead of Seastar. Just maybe I'll find more. Maybe they don't always refer to her the whole name. And this quote, this, you know, this these bits with Danny and the and the comment came up. And it's a slightly different word, but it was so similar I couldn't ignore it, especially when the meaning was so similar with you know these star, et cetera, et cetera. So I was in my mind just thinking about like directions George might have been going or parallels he was trying to draw. It didn't connect that it might just be like a language thing that David Peterson pieced together, but but it, which it could still be both of those things, but I don't, I don't know quite was... what to draw for this, but I thought it was noteworthy. Well, it wouldn't have been that David J. Peterson made that connection. It would be that this this existed before. That he built on it, yeah. He built on this, okay. um, th- that this that... existed in the books prior to his involvement in yeah. the language That creation. phrase, Shirak Kia, was one that, that David had to add to his lexicon when starting off. He's like, okay, okay. what words do we already have? Because that's, that's book one. So yeah, Peterson wasn't involved. Yeah, that was one of the... Until much later. The, yeah, one of the building blocks of how to build the Dothraki language. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's unclear Wait, it would have been... if David decided to connect Dothraki and Valyrian at all either. He may not have considered this link between their them proximity-wise, region-wise, or he may have decided just that's not how it would have worked. <laughs> he may have well, intentionally done it that way. Minor clarification, that's book two, right? I'm sorry, yes, you're right. Book two, not book okay. one. Yeah, you're totally right. The comic comes right at the end and then they, they, they name it at the beginning of book two. Yeah, you're right. I'm saying just also that in Valyrian, the translation for star is not Shira at all. It is Telos. Telos. Okay. Yeah. That's very different. All right, cool. Very different. It might just be a coincidence then. Yeah. And it might just, or I mean, it might not be. My my other point is that it might not be a coincidence in the books. And then David simply did not, you know. Yeah, sure. Think about that, that relation potentially, I suppose. But I, I don't, I think George did it on purpose in the books. Personally, share a C star, longtime patron and listener who I joked with them about who are you voting for in this in this poll? <laughs> <laughs> they did, in fact, vote for Shira. And they say, considering her mother died in childbirth, it's no wonder she'd want to stay single. Maybe marriage is equated with danger and motherhood. Yeah, I mean... I think we can just take that as fact since true. it's coming from Shiera Seastar herself. She's, she's, yeah. she's weighed in. <laughs> Shiera Seastar is canon on Shiera Seastar, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, and it makes sense because we've cast Shiera as a highly intelligent person, someone who can look, who can see stimulus and result better than a lot of other people, someone who's detached and, and more educated and can and is less beholden to following in lockstep with existing societal norms, yeah, I could see her 
something like, no, like, why would I do that? Like, it's just such a risk to me. And children, any children I have could be in danger because of their heritage. And yeah, it just, it just doesn't make sense, you know? So for a lot of reasons. Joe Magician says, just on a basic level that the person she was closest to is the widely feared, weird, and notable outsider Blood Raven. Seems like a tell that they bonded over having similar experiences at court. That's a good point. They both were a little bit isolated. Like Blood Raven's mom was popular and that gave him a bit of an in route. But like just from his look and his, his interests, he was an insider outsider, kind of like she was. Like all the benefits of being a Targaryen, connections to the royal family, both Daron and she, Daron was liked, Blood Raven was liked by Daron. Maybe Shiera was too. Maybe they helped him. And either way, he kept them close, as we're told, because he that was his policy towards dealing with threats was the old keep your enemies, your friends closer, your enemies closer kind of thing. And not that he saw them as enemies, he saw them as potential dangers because of their heritage and they've been legitimized by his, their awful father. Well, folks, we are still in the midst of our Patreon drive. If you want to sign up now, we're going to cut it off around the time we start firing blood. We're going to cut off the lower level as you can get yourself grandfathered in $2 a month before the price goes up. We have a lot of benefits you can get for that $2 a month, including one of the biggest ones is not hearing ads like this one. And any inserted ad that comes from the Spotify network or from other podcast networks, assuming those are still in play, but usually it's Spotify, those ads won't play. You listen on the Patreon RSS feed where there are not such things. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's talk a little bit about some of our fun experiences at Ice and FireCon. We want to shout Ice and FireCon out and share our love of that event. It won't be happening next year and it should be back in 2025. We want to make sure we share a little extra love since we won't be having much to say about it next year. I wanted to say a thing about the musical, which will be out for everyone to watch. We'll be sharing links, but I wanted to hand Aziz my memento from it. Here you go. Vote young, young Griff, young Aegon. That's Daisy of Folkwise. They played young Griff in the musical and handed out these flyers, campaign flyers during it. And it was very delightful. And I saved one and framed it, as did some other people. And I'm going to hang it up. But before I hung it up, I thought I would show it off to y'all. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. We talked a little bit about the musical last year. It was the same one. They sometimes do the same musical two years in a row because it's, it's such a big production and it enables them to maybe tighten it up or maybe make a few changes. And it's so good. So funny. It's based on Queens, the musical, and it's Westerosi Queens. And that the young Aegon part comes from a little skit falls during the bit about Ariane Martell. And it, it has young Griff getting on Tinder and swiping the different queens and princesses <laughs> of Westeros. It's, it's great. It's great. Yeah, if you are impatient, technically, the original Queens musical is, is on YouTube right now and you could watch it there. But if you're patient, you can wait for the new version, I suggest. Yeah. So I dressed up as upscale Craghouse Crab Feeder. I had a a mask, the same mask he has, a 3D printed mask of his, you know, 
harpy mask that was kind of melted. And I had a, a suit jacket with gold all over it and some crab necklaces. I had a ring on every finger and I had suit pants with gold trim all over them. I was a blinged up crab feeder for sure. Yeah. I even had gold shoelaces on my dress shoes. Yeah, our friend Nami had a matching high fashion crab feeder. There was, yeah, there was, it was cool to see a couple crab feeders. We were, crabs was a big theme of the weekend. Yeah. I even had a dark sister tattoo, temporary tattoo on my chest that people could see. It was like, you know, because that's what kills me. <laughs> that's crab Here, feeder. <laughs> A picture on screen for everyone to see Aziz. Yes. And Nami in their crab feeder outfits. And you see the necklaces that Aziz yeah. is giving out Mardi Gras beads. I gave a lot of people crabs. <laughs> yeah, that was <laughs> or crab. Really I gave a lot of people crab. One crab. <laughs> <laughs> One crab each. No, multiple crabs. That gets out of hand. Big shout out to the organizers, the volunteers, and the small council of, of Ice and Fire Con put in a lot of work to make sure we all have a great time. And uh, we appreciate. We it. did a we did a parade, by the way. Oh, yeah, Tommy organized. Got I, I had a snare drum, and we like marched across the hotel, leading into the the masquerade ball that night. Oh, that was another fun up. moment. Yeah, yeah, I got a good yeah, video yeah. of it that I will be sharing. I'm going to get through all my pictures and videos and share them on Facebook and photos and all that. I think we had 12 Greenmen of the Isle of Faces, yeah, right? Like mashup or mashup of. Uh, Charlie Day and uh, yeah, yeah, you have Charlie Kelly, a Green Man, saving, Charlie saving our live our lives right now. Um, That's right. Yeah, it was great. There, there were a dozen of us, so we like doubled our numbers, and we had two green people competing in the tourney melee because it was Sean and Allie, both represented us. It was very lovely. Yeah, I wanted to say a, a share a brief story about the Faceless Man game, which I always participate in, and this year Tommy Pappas was playing too. And so the first night of the con, Skelly night, we were hosting our party together, the Skelly party. And, you know, we're talking, we, we had to like come to an agreement to be like, we're, we don't have each other as, we're not each other's targets right now. Because like, otherwise, how are we going to make this party well, function? Hey, let, me, let me jump in. This, the Faceless Man game is like a, a party game that happens throughout the whole weekend where- it's an assassin game. It's, it's an assassin game where certain people who are playing are hunting other people who are just at the con. And they, so no one knows who's trying to kill who or who people's targets are. So this is kind of an open thing where- Unless yeah. there's collusion, which which does go on, I will admit. Yeah, there's a certain <laughs> amount of like weird. I want to point out, I was in this too, by the way. Yeah, Sean so. was in it too. So on Skelly night, I get my target. It's the my target is this guy David who made pizza for the whole party. And you tried to kill him anyway. Well, I I, I did kill him. <laughs> did um, kill him. <laughs> I, I waited till the pizza was like given out, and then I gave it a little time, <laughs> and I killed him, and that was great. And then he gives me his target, and he's like, "Okay, my target is Tommy." And I was like, oh no, that's like my co-host. I can't kill him tonight. So I simply did not. I, I did not kill him. And I went, I was like, I'm just going to give him the night, you know? Well, then I'm talking to a fellow over pizza. And what do you know? He kills me. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay, well, you know, good, good job, good job. And I give him his new target, which is Tommy. And I'm like, do you know him? Like, do you know him? And he's like, no, I don't know like anyone. Like, I didn't even know who you were, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, okay, great. And I look to my like left and Tommy's just in the room with us. And I'm like, oh my God, this is awful. <laughs> and I'm like trying to distract him, like keep him in conversation. I see Tommy like exit the cabin. And I'm like, okay, bye. Nice to meet you, Boda. Like, great. And like, I, I follow Tommy out, I think. And I lose Tommy. I'm like, oh no, where did he go? 
And I turn back around and Tommy's back in the cabin, like feet away from his would-be assassin. <laughs> so I like go inside, I, I run back inside and I like grab Tommy, like a secret service agent, you know, like I grab him. I'm like, someone is trying to kill you. Come with me. And I like ferry him out of the cabin. And as I do, I like make eye contact with the assassin, like really intense eye contact. And I know in that moment, he knows who his target is now. <laughs> in that moment, we're like, okay, what are we going to do? So we sneak Tommy back into the cabin, back inside, where Tommy has a costume change that he'd planned, but it is like the perfect costume change. He goes. Do you want to give people a chance to guess what the costume was? Do you think anyone might guess what his costume was? I can't was? imagine anyone <laughs> could guess what the costume was. I'm going to put it on screen for everyone. Tommy changed into a bikini, a yellow bikini and ski, a full ski mask. And then like went out to the party and it was great. And then you have like fishnet, yeah, fishnet tights fishnet on Fishnet tights with skulls all over them. So he does that, right? And I, I see this guy, our assassin Boda, like a minute later, like after Tommy's made the change. And he's like, I see your friend went to bed real, real slick. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, he's, he's asleep. This isn't his cabin at all. That is <laughs> and like, then he goes to bed. And so Tommy survives the night. And then the next day, Tommy's real, real paranoid all day until a person in a son of the harpy mask comes up to him and kills him. And which was very slick. And yeah, that was a very big highlight of my con. I love the Faceless Man game and I really loved experiencing it with Tommy and saving his life. <laughs> yep. You, you just needed to have said, come with me if you want to live. That's what you needed to have told him. <laughs> the look of terror in Tommy's eyes is like I ferried him out like of a crowded room and like covered him with my arms. It was so funny. Ashea and I sang a filk. We sang yeah. to the, the tune of Jolene. We sang Shireen instead. <laughs> yeah, we sure I'm begging did. of you, please don't burn her, Stan, yeah. miss. Yes. <laughs> it was my first time doing karaoke like that. And I was real nervous, but it was a nice short little song and I had a good time. There's a video in our Facebook group if you care to watch our song. That's right. That's right. We did the Me First and the Gimme Gimme's version rather than the Dolly Parton version because the Me First version is shorter. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and I, I, more yeah. upbeat. Yeah. Yeah. We love, we love them. They're a ska like cover band, like a super group cover band full yeah. of like a bunch of other notable musicians. Very yeah. good band. Yeah. Quiplash. Quiplash yeah. is super fun. We're going to... We've been talking yeah. about Quiplash, doing Quiplash in our Discord fairly soon for, yeah. for patrons Honestly, and stuff. So that'll... We're even so more fired up for that story. after having done it live. So many stories I would love to share, but the mo one that was important for me was the Faceless Man one, and that took plenty yeah. of time. I had to communicate this story to y'all. <laughs> well, shout out to you and Tommy as well for arranging the, the Skelly Night Party, which Aww. is the Thursday night tradition. Y'all did a fantastic job. Thank you. It was yeah. real fun. It was us and maybe 15, 16 other people in a group chat planning it only a few weeks before the con. But yeah, we went we, we went real big with it. It was fun. Yeah. Thank you. Ice and Firecon really relies on people stepping forward and making things happen because it's not like a corporate convention where there's people with salaries that are paid to make these things happen. So <laughs> volunteers, y'all, that's what happens. Yeah. I was just really happy with the, the yoga that I did. Yeah, that, uh, that was I did a Game of Thrones themed yoga class. So yeah, instead of, instead of child's pose, we do child of the forest pose. Instead of dancer pose, water dancer pose and so on. You know, Heart so, tree pose so. was really good. And yeah. planky town pose at a plank pose. Yeah. yeah, you had some good ones in there, man. Yeah, that was good. That was a good way to like, 
moving again after. And Sean did that after hurting himself at the attorney at the melee. He took a little tumble yeah. and, and messed up his knee a bit. So yeah. good for Sean. He, Despite hurting my knee, it was still all a spectacular. He time. was limping, Sean, not dancing, Sean. But yeah, I'm still <laughs> limping, Sean, to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> Bummer. Let's get back to it. Let's talk about Darren the Good. Recall, Darren was her half-brother, but it's one of those weird half-brothers when your half-brother is 30 years older than you. <laughs> that is... Yeah, you don't see a lot of that. It, now, even in old times or now or any, ever. Yeah, you don't see that very often. Let's have a quote about what she looked like. She was slender, elegant, called the greatest beauty of her age. Quote. She had the silver gold hair of the Targaryens, thick and curling, and wore it very long. At some points in her life, it fell well below her waist, almost to the back of her knees. Whoa. She had a heart-shaped face, full lips, and her mismatched eyes were strangely large and full of mischief. Her rival said she used them to melt men's hearts. <laughs> she basically rivals. looked like a Disney character. A yeah, her, Disney character. her rivals, in this case, not like women who were jealous or haters. something. Haters. Yeah, haters. That's the right yeah. term. Her haters said she used them to melt men's hearts. Well, what, what wouldn't you? Like, <laughs> like they would do that too. Better I would do that. Yeah, I mean, using it to freeze men's hearts. Yeah, ooh. Or both. She freezes them and then she melts them. She has so much power over the temperature of men's hearts. <laughs> <laughs> that quote is direct from George, not from the Maesters or anything like that. So that's, that's like the way he, sort of how he described her to Amok for drawing. That's one bright green eye and one dark blue eye. So that is outstanding and unusual and sounds pretty cool. And she's depicted as her favorite necklace was a silver necklace with alternating star sapphires and emeralds to reflect her eye color perfectly. And as we said, she didn't like wearing gold. She did like ivory and cloth of silver, which would do a lot of... Sounds like she was very coordinated. Like, <laughs> look, her eye color matches her necklace. Her hair color matches her silver and ivory. And yeah, I mean, what the heck? She's super, super beautiful. So like, apparently she accessorized well also. So none of her close brothers had these features really in combination anyway like Damon had the silver hair and the purple eyes Agor did, had dark hair and purple eyes Brendan's hair was white not silver and he had red eyes so his eyes were also outstanding but in a very different way and of course there's a lot of other bastards of Aegon the Fourth who we've never seen like we don't even know what Brendan's sisters look like his half sisters Gwyneth and Mia and for all we know, they were like friends with Shiera. They would have maybe been a, they were pretty close in age probably, or at least close-ish. So yeah, kind of unclear there. But so even in terms of appearance, she had some unusual, unique features that would have just, like it says there, just added to her beauty and making her more outstanding and unique. From 182 to 180, 996-ish, that's when she was about just born to about age 14. So unlike her siblings, there weren't questions about her birth, right? Damon Blackfire and King Daron, there were all sorts of questions and if not questions, just considerations. Damon, yes, both his parents were Targaryen, so that makes him better than other bastards, blah, blah, blah. Or family politics, like the long-running feud between Bracken and Blackwood. Hey, I said it right that time. Yeah. Obviously fuels the hatred between Bittersteel and Bloodraven. Like they, they did just come out of nowhere. Part of that is the existing grudge between their two families and the existing current fighting between them to be as close to the king as they could be. First, it's Barba. Then it's Melissa Blackwood. Then it's Bethany Bracken. 
So Cher is not involved in any of that because her mother not only dies young, but isn't connected to any of that past feuding, politicking. John Hightower, if, if there was any business with him, it, he was at least one degree separate from it. Nina says it's interesting to speculate where she lived. She probably lived at court because of this lack of problematic heritage and family politicking that would have gotten in the way. On the other hand, Darren might not have wanted to raise her right with the other children, the other royal children of the same age to sort of differentiate her in a sense. On the other hand, he kept the great bastards close for said, so he may have treated her as one of the group in order to keep her from feeling isolated, which would in, in long term maybe keep her in the fold and, and make it less likely that she would, say, join another faction or her heritage could be used against them, her bloodline or whatever. And maybe that impacted her young upbringing as a, as a scholar. If she was allowed to stay at the Red Keep, which I do suspect, because I don't know where else she would have gone. <laughs> Summerhall? Summerhall didn't, what was around, but I don't know if that's much better. That's still going to keep her around the royal, other royals. And so anyway, if she's at the Red she Keep. She could have gone to the Tower of Joy. <laughs> <laughs> if she's at the Red Keep, she's got access to the, the, all these great libraries that have all these books. The same library that Ares I in a decade or a decade and a half from now discovers the prophecy that the dragons will be reborn again. The very same library. So that's the same library Rhaegar discovers and says, I, seems I must be a warrior. So all, all these things are in the Red Keep's library, whatever. And this is post Baylor the Blessed's burning. So there is still stuff in there, clearly, because uh, he, didn't, he clearly didn't burn the thing that Ares found that said the dragons would be born again. Which again, uh, my, my supposing that maybe she had some bigger picture view of what's going on, or she had some awareness of some prophecy, whether she dreamed it herself or read it somewhere or someone else dreamed it and told her, mm-hmm. it might have affected her interactions, her, her getting married or not, et cetera. You know? Yeah, like under Daron, it's hard to tell what her role was. But under Ares I, he's concerned with prophecy and more, he's more interested in books than ruling. He doesn't want to get married either. Or he did get married, but he didn't want to have kids. Like, it sounds like he had things in common with Shira. Like they're both interested in books. They don't care about marriage. They're like, politics is like, ah, what a bother, you know? There's no evidence of a bond between them, but they had things in common and they lived at the same time <laughs> in the same era. And Bloodraven, we know Bloodraven was highly trusted by Ares and Bloodraven's her lover. So like, it's one degree of separation there. So getting a little, a little ahead of ourselves by talking about Ares, let's jump, run back to the time of Daron. And Typically, young noble girls, they're not around boys except when there's adults around, right? They're, it's, it's, they keep it very on the quote-unquote up and up. Like there's no, no rumors of untoward behavior, right? The way Sansa always had a septa with her at all times, right? A chaperone. But the loophole is family, <laughs> especially brothers. Mm. And her brothers are Targaryens. And so... She did have suitors at an early age, whereas someone like Sansa, like they kept her away from all that because it's inappropriate. But the Targaryens have a loophole because of their exceptionalism and incest. And well, those two things are kind of thrown together. That's why Bloodraven and Bittersteel were so close to her when they probably shouldn't have been. Like they're already like flirting with her and trying to like get her attention when she's like nine or 10 or 11 or even younger than Sansa was. At which I wonder if this affected her later. She's like, this is why she never married any of them because they were like 
creepy from an early age. She's like, I don't want no. Like y'all know. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn this around. Karma, y'all. <laughs> I'm turning this around on you. I'm gonna keep you all at arm's length and make you maybe make you think I might marry you one day, but I'm never actually going to. Screw you. Yeah, I, I'm done with this. But I'm gonna let you think <laughs> it's it's happening. Like there's a lot of room for her to be very like jaded about the whole thing because of how it went for her as a very young person before she was ready for it. Like she's not gonna be interested in this stuff when she's six, you know. But they could already, they're already looking at her as a six-year-old, probably like, oh man, when she's an adult, she's gonna look like, ugh, you know? That's so normal for this, for this setting. Plus, because there's power involved in it too. It's also like, oh, she chose me over you, brother. Like they want this win over each other. So is she she's kind of made into an object, which is not gonna make her more interested in them. Like, you're treating me like a thing and not a person. Like, why? What's in it for me here, right? So there's a lot of reasons why she would be bitter about the whole process and just kind of disinterested in love. And again, this goes back to her not having a mother and father as well. That's not exactly the best thing for having role models of healthy relationships around. Other than her siblings, though, there are other like family members that could have been in her life. They wouldn't have been the same age as her. But you wonder about the women of the maid involved. Like Dana the Defiant, Damon Blackfire's mom. We don't even know if she's still alive when she died. but she might have had some things in common with Cher, even though she was a lot older than her. It might have taken her under her wing or something. Elena as well, who's highly intelligent. So that might have been something to talk to Cher about. Not Reina, the Septa, <laughs> the one who was more Septa-like. I don't think they would have had too much to talk about. Daenerys, maybe? You know, if she was still alive, you know, after Aegon III's death, she might have still been around. Deanna Dane, who married Makar. What was her deal? She died youngish. Another outsider. But- Another outsider, yeah. She was maybe brought in for political reasons because of the whole situation with Dorne and tying Dorne to the, the realm after Daenerys marries Maron. A couple other marriages to shore up that situation makes sense. So Daron marries his son, Makar, to Deanna Dane. To, you've got a Sunspear marriage. You've got a Starfall in the Dane far the west and Sunspears in the far east. Uh-huh. So you got Sun and Stars. My Sun and Stars. Yeah, that's right. So shored up on both sides there. And there are other half-sisters, right? All the non-common, all the non-noble-born half-sisters that would have been out there. Any one of them she could have sought out or could have sought her out as, well, we've got this in common. We're bastards of Aegon the Unworthy. Maybe yeah. we could Especially hang think out. about some of them are Blood Raven sisters, you know, the, yeah. the rivers. So maybe had more of a reason to have a connection with Shiera if Shiera's close with their brother. Yeah. And earlier we mentioned Damon Blackfire. What did Damon Blackfire think of Shiera? Maybe just... She was too young to be of much consideration to him. He he died when he was 26. And she would have been only about 14 or 15. So they may just maybe never had a whole lot of contact. But he was in court and got chased out and, you know, was warned that they were coming for him when that happened. So he was at court right before the rebellion broke out. She probably was too. So they would have had contact. Maybe she, like a lot of the other people at court, had a crush on him because he was like the perfect Targaryen in terms of look and, and manner and bearing and all that. But she may have just been just like all the other guys. She's like, I just don't care. You know, I'm not, I'm not, he's too, he's too old for me. He's already married. He's already got kids. And speaking of that, his kids, his, his twins, Aegon and Aemon, who were also killed in the Redgrass Field, they would have been very close in age to her. So you wonder maybe that's, if Damon took an interest in her, it might have been for that reason. Maybe I should marry one of my twin sons to Shiera Seastar. Just to like make the family even more prestigious. And I don't know. Something. It, yeah, I mean, it would shore up like different claims. 
Yeah, just yeah, cut them down. off rather than have all these branches flying all over the place. You can maybe reduce the number of, of Targaryen branches. Uh, also, Valar and Mataris, Baylor Breakspear's sons. Those would have been pretty close in age to Shiera as well. They were born around the same time, all these people. So they are all in the same generation. There's a lot of open questions here between what personal relationships could have gone on between these characters. A lot of, so many dynamics we can't possibly guess at. People that you can't just predict who would be friends and who wouldn't just because they have things in common doesn't mean they'd like each other. Just because they don't have things in common doesn't mean they wouldn't, you know, opposites attract sometimes. Who knows? So we're really just shining a light on what we don't know here to point out that there's a lot when this stuff ever gets written or put on TV. There's a lot to work with. It's a very compelling groundwork, even if it's not super detailed in some places. Kiera of Tyrosh, another one who would have been maybe around, another foreigner who maybe they would have had something to bond over being not from there <laughs> or somewhat not from there. She is obviously born in Westeros, but obviously her heritage is outside Westeros. Now, Kiera of Tyrosh, if you get who that was, that was Daron the drunkard's wife. She married Valar and then yeah, yeah, yeah. it was Valar yeah, first. Yeah, and then Valar died of his great spring sickness. Yeah. And then she remarried to, yeah. to him, to uh, Darren the Drunkard. And they only had one girl who maybe died young. She was a simpleton, so she, she wasn't really part of the succession. Cher was a great reader, a big reader of books. That's why I compared her to the reader, like a, a noble who would rather just read books and be ignored. But she can't be ignored because she's too attractive <laughs> and, need, and the reader's too powerful. He's the Lord of Harlaw. So like, you can't just ignore him, you know. I just say, when you say the reader, that was an Ironborn, yeah. right? Yeah. He was, yeah, Roderick, uh, Harlaw. Roderick Harlaw. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was, unlike most Ironborn, a little more intellectual and educated. Yes, exactly. So she's kind of like that. She's a lot more educated than like compared to like Arian Brightflame or, or even Baylor Breakspear, who was well-educated, but maybe not bookish, you know, uh, but very smart. Or like Maester Eamon, who was very bookish as well. So that's another person she may have had some things in common with. Like he didn't go to, he went to the Citadel, you know, in the early 200s, if I remember right, or around there. So Shiera would have been, you know, 20-ish by then. So they could have, yeah, they could have had some conversations or connections or what, who knows. She learned a dozen languages. That's one of the things that's just like striking is like, oh, this is a smart person or talented at least. Like that is... That is no small thing. So she surely spoke Lyseni as one of them, almost certainly, because she would have she had connections to her mother, even though her mother wasn't around to like teach her. Given, I mean, it's a safe guess. I'm not 100% sure she knew Lyseni, but she knew a dozen languages. She probably knew the one from her family, as well as whatever else. What do we think some of the languages are then? Like common, Valyrian, Yeah, high Valyrian, Lyseni. almost certainly. That's three right there. But like there were a dozen more, we're really going to name nine more languages that she knows? Wild. <laughs> yeah, like, what are these other dialects? Like she yeah. knew maybe, maybe she knew like Discari. Yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, yeah. Some of them may have just been dialects. Iskari gay, Iskari also gay. known as Iskari gay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the Blackfire Rebellion, the first one broke out 196. She has no like direct family connections except to the split here. Like obviously she has no stake in it from her own house. Like she's not like, oh God, if this side wins, I'm screwed. Or if this side wins, I'm screwed. No, she's kind of positioned neutrally. It's, it's very personal to her. Like, well, if she's likes Bloodraven, then maybe she wants that side to win. Or if this Daron is giving her access to the libraries and letting her live there, she may not want to have a change at the top because that might restrict her access to what she has now. Why have a change when things are good the way they are? You know, that's a, with change comes uncertainty. Does she really want her two half-siblings fighting against each other? Apparently, some sources say yes. She liked men dueling over her, although liked is maybe like a cynical thing. Like she just 
thinks the whole thing is stupid and like, yeah, go ahead, man. Like, I don't care. <laughs> like, you guys are idiots. I'm not going to marry any of you anyway. Like, why are you just, she's toying with how dumb they are, you know? <laughs> I'll accept the outcome of the duel. Yes, I shall accept. <laughs> Angela Seastar, yes. <laughs> Nina makes a point, like, which fa- side of the family did she feel closest to? If Darren was giving her an income, another reason just not screw with that. Like, I'll just keep the status quo. It's better than a whole nother team coming in and taking the throne and who knows what I'll be allowed to do. Maybe, maybe they're all knightly chivalric values wouldn't allow me to study supernatural stuff as much. I don't know. Dar- I mean, Daron was pious and he allowed it. So who knows? You know, just one thing I, I, I feel motivated to throw out there. I think there's got to be at least some potential that maybe she did like Blood Raven in. Bitter Steel. Uh, Bitter Steel. Bitter Steel. Bitter Steel. Did you like yeah, them both, that, but... that maybe... Yeah, that maybe she couldn't choose or it would be awkward to choose one over the other or there's other political pressures, but maybe she really did I mean, at least semi-romantically care for them both. I mean, you know? she might have had a period in her life where she was real close with one of them and then a different period where she was close yeah. to them both and it it didn't, yeah. yeah. That's true. I mean, it, it might have been reciprocated for some period of time and then not. Yeah, you're right. There's no reason yeah. to think of it as just a mono, like her feelings would have been the same for her whole life. She could have had, they could have had falling outs and then getting back together or Yeah, I mean, especially different. when you look so young, anything like young, like teen, Shira, like she's like 14, might have been so different than 28-year-old Shira's. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like as well that she has a lot of incentive to be neutral, at least on the outside, to pr- project neutrality. Yeah. She doesn't want anyone thinking she's like a spy for the other side or passing info to her other brother. Like, you're on our side, but you had a relationship with our number one enemy, Bittersteel. Like, just make it clear that she's not involved. I'm not involved. I'm not connected to any of this. I'm just watching to see who wins and I'll congratulate the winner and just, I just want to be with my books, <laughs> you know? So this is, this is kind of comes back to the beginning quote where Barristan thinks that this rivalry played a big role or if not caused it, which we know he's exaggerating, but it's not a completely made up lie either. It, there's, it's partly true. We're just not sure how true. I mean, like, it might also be that she could have stopped it. Okay. Maybe she had the power to do something that she just opted not to, or maybe she's blamed for that when she isn't. Because yeah, you know I mean, like, how it is, yeah, blaming like, the women for that's stuff. That's not saying that, she's, it's her duty to do that, but right. like the assessment might be like, oh, if Shiera had loved Bittersteel back, the wars wouldn't have happened. Maybe. Okay. Which isn't like, again, that's not that kinda, on her, but no. like she could have stopped it potentially. She may have been one of the few people with the power to, to smooth it over because yeah. of their love of her. And yeah. you, no one, and there's no one else that they both respected that much that they would agree to negotiate with or something like that. No one else had their mutual affection anywhere close to that level that they had for her. So yeah, that is interesting. Like, yeah, she does kind of, as someone that I'm trying to paint as neutral, there would be a lot of incentive for her not to be. And not necessarily that she did, but it's a tough spot to be in. So maybe a bit of a tightrope walk for her to to be there. And and you can imagine also it would be an interesting drama. There would be a lot of conflict and intrigue and dilemma. Yeah. Like if you know if we were to get any of this on screen, there's enough. There are enough players and enough unknown and enough intrigue that they could stick to canon, if you will but create a, a very rich story I say, for us. I'm mm. picturing it. I said Firecon, John Egan, his family, they, they wrote a telenovela <laughs> script for had Elena talking to old man. It was, it was Becca played Elena. It was very funny, but I'm picturing this as like mm. telenovela style <laughs> with, with Shara and Bitter Steel and Blood Raven and all that. Only you can I, bring me, the I'm sides like, together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only you can mend the family. 
But she got close-ups on her face, <laughs> tears forming in the eye. <laughs> <laughs> now, before he was like sweet steel, and he's like, now I will be called bitter steel. <laughs> sweet Serenai, bitter steel. Yeah. <laughs> Later reign, so her age is like 15 to 27-ish. We're kind of, you know, we're, we're, we're a little loose with the timelines here because we're not, we're not entirely sure when she was born, though we do have it narrowed down to a range of about four years. But we're kind of jumping around with the topics about her because they, they're a bit vague in some spots. So we said Daron was said to have kept the great bastards close. Shira, that may have been less of a consideration for him because she was the least dangerous in a political sense because she wasn't double Targaryen or Bracken or Blackwood or married to a family with a big interest in one side or the other. And Nina says Serena as, as well seemed, likely seemed the least threatening of all the great bastards for multiple reasons. Or Shara, because she was not remotely of an age to consider marriage early on. So she couldn't have been a pawn. And the normal considerations that make someone a threat aren't there for her. I wonder if she was used as a diplomat or an ambassador. Certainly that's a theory comes later under Egg's reign, which she may not even be alive during that time. But 12 languages, beautiful and kind of intimidating. That makes a good ambassador, like a representative, someone that knows how to talk, someone who's courtly and experienced. It feels like that would have been a good role for her, maybe. Like she certainly seems to have the qualifications and the, the disposition and just a lot of the qualities that you need to have. Not that I'm some expert on what those qualities are, but <laughs> feels right. You know, someone who's like a little disconnected, but has all the raised to court. Yeah, just, I feel like that works. On the other hand, Daron may not have liked this idea because of her heritage and just he doesn't want her making connections or maybe her connections to sorcery might, might have made him uncomfortable using her as a representative because he's so pious. And I mean, there, I don't know. There might still have been the exact xenophobia we mentioned, the yeah. sexism mentioned. There's multiple reasons why someone might say, hey, yeah, this person has all the qualities you want in a diplomat and an ambassador, but they make us look terrible, you know, which mm. I don't think is true, but it might be. I feel like Darren would want to do that because he was known for having a more diverse court. Like he had maesters and scholars and poets and musicians and more women than Westerosi were used to seeing at court. He was trying to have a more, to use a modern word, he was, he was progressive, even though he was also religious, which is not something you kind of tend to associate together. But it, that's, that's a thing. People, there's religious progressives. That's, that's a thing for sure. And you ever heard of Martin Luther? Yeah, like absolutely. Like it's just, it's just a matter of the time and place for what can, what's yeah, considered progressive. Relative sometimes, yeah. Absolutely. So bringing Dorn into the realm was very progressive at the time. It was like the old guard was like, no, there are life term, lifeline, lifelong enemies. We have to fight them. Now you have Dornish princesses just hanging out here. It's like that was offensive to them. So Darren may have yielded to that to political expediency, but I think he would have wanted to show the diversity of his court and the, the intelligence of the people that he kept close. And Cher is a smart person, so it would have maybe reflected on him well if, if the xenophobia wasn't too overwhelming, which it may have been. It's also possible that she could have gone along with diplomats ah, whether to learn heart. from or be an advisor for. So maybe if she wouldn't mm. be accepted as a foreigner or as a woman, but she still has the insight and the, the best interest of the court in mind or whatever, so she can go along with someone else too. I like that idea. Like not the yeah. not the lead diplomat, but part of the diplomatic party. Yeah, she'd be in the group, maybe not the actual leader of it. Let's talk about marriage and why she never got married and, and play around with this notion a bit and, and what it did for her. It's it said she refused many suitors 
Maybe politics played a role. She just didn't want to choose because choosing a marriage, choosing a husband means take, you're going to end up on a side either then or later. She's seen all these civil wars. She comes, she's born when she was there. This was the Blackfire Rebellions comes along. That's the second Targaryen civil war of that century, <laughs> right? So she's well aware of Dance of the Dragons and what it cost the family dragons, right? <laughs> and now the Blackfire Rebellions, which cost them even more. Like, okay. All this comes from these entangling alliances. If I just don't get married, I'm never going to be forced onto a side here. So it may have been part of her calculation. Again, I must mention Daron taking care of the great bastards to, to lessen their incentive to feel jilted, to feel like he's their best sponsor. He's their best bet. So he, she was probably getting an income, you know, like an allowance. It was probably substantial. I mean, to live like a royal does, you got to have <laughs> some money. So she may have been like, yeah, again, another reason just to keep things the way they are. I don't need to, if I change out who's paying me, it may not be as much or they may not pay me at all. You know, by the way, that might be another reason to think of gold as vulgar because... She wants gems. Whatever (laughs) she thinks of it, whatever she thinks of it, other people find it valuable. So her allowance, she would get more spendable money from her allowance. Mm -hmm. It's like, here's X money to buy gold. And all the other princesses go buy gold. She buys silver and has this extra money left over to go buy books or to Uh, go research or or whatever else. her money on books. Yeah, you're right. That's a good point. As far as marriage, though, I mean, we're, we're coming up with these reasons why like politics and not wanting to get involved, not wanting to be beholden to a husband, not wanting to be second fiddle to you know, like, I'm subordinate to you now because that's how Westerosi marriages tend to work. She just didn't want to sign up for that. But she may have just also just had really high standards. She's like, no, I'm just, none of you were good enough for me. <laughs> like, nope. Yeah, I mean, nope. she also might just not want to ever be pregnant and yeah. give birth and die in childbirth like so many other women. And it's just, right? Yeah. I think that, I mean, I think, yeah, the giving up her power and freedom, but yeah, I think probably... And it, it could be a lot wanting, of these things. Yeah. It could be all these things, right? Like, there's a lot of reasons on the con list. We should make a pro-con list. Like, we just named several major cons. And I mean, the <laughs> only real reason for pro is like, if she wanted kids or if she wanted love, but she could have love and not be married. Yeah, and she maybe just was kind of just, like we said, talking about her childhood. She maybe not had a lot of love in her, been that interested in it. You know, this is the way she lacked role models for loving relationships. This may not have been something she cared about. Yeah. Also, she could have... Some of these reasons could have... She had reason X when she's 19 and reason Y when she's 24 mm-hmm. and reason Z when she's 27. You know, they could change over time. There could have been a phase where she really did want to get buried, but Bitter still was like, I can't right now. I have this other duty or, you know, yeah. like, you know, so moments when she may have wanted to, the stars weren't... The sea stars weren't lining up for her. (laughs) Yeah, maybe she just wasn't like, I don't want to marry one of my brothers. Neither of them are going to end up as king or even prince. Maybe she was holding out for someone of higher rank. That does not fit in very well with some of these other notions that she just didn't want to get married at all. But these are all possible. Maybe she's holding out for someone of lower rank. (laughs) Hey, you never know. And But to think about it from her other the other angle, as an unmarried but super high-status woman... It could make sense to stay unmarried, to either wait for some amazing opportunity or just reap the benefits of being single and beautiful and, and high-born and just continuously use that, like continuously recycle those benefits. Like these men are going to keep dueling in her honor and giving her favors just to sit by her. Why would she give that up? <laughs> you know, like, I mean, you can, there are some reasons why, but you can see why she wouldn't. She'd be like, yeah, I'm going to just keep this running as long as I can. Like, why? They're just giving me jewels to sit by me. If I'm married, there's only one guy. <laughs> Is he going to keep giving me jewels to sit by me if I'm married to him? Probably not. He's going to put babies in me and they might kill me. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay single 
this is better for me. Yeah, like not everyone can do that, but she can. And so she did. <laughs> Once again, I'm thinking of Angela. So you've had two different men dueling over you at two different points in your life? <laughs> Oh, yeah, I guess I have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shira's case is a lot more than that, apparently. And yeah. for a lot lesser reasons. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess I have. Oh, yeah. yeah. I forgot about that. No, you didn't. <laughs> John Mark and John David. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, I guess uh, you just don't have a lot of choices, you know. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Shira, yeah, that's not what you would say to her. <laughs> I once again want to bring up the thought here that another potential motivation, something that is like new since House of the Dragon for us to think of this angle. But maybe she thought or knew she wasn't supposed to marry or was supposed to marry some certain individual based on some prophecy. Mm -hmm. Maybe she was waiting for something to happen and it just never happened. You know, it, it, It's hard to know, but, but so many of these characters in this time period might have been wrapped up and, ha- and or had knowledge of certain prophecies, mm, right? Yeah. And, and, and that could have guided some of the decisions that were being made, and including her not getting married. I posited in our document, I wonder if, if Daron... Well, I posited several things about what his thoughts on this was, whether he wanted her to get married or whether he was glad she didn't or whether he influenced her to not get married. Stay that way. Maybe he liked the, that she was staying in marriage. He's like, okay, that's a good thing. No new Targaryens. None of this mess needs to happen. We could just... Keep it where it is. And he might have just done incentivized her there. He's like, I see that she's not, seems to want to get married. I'm going to do things to keep that status quo. Like, yes, let's encourage that. On the other hand, he may have considered her as a bride for one of his sons. He has four sons, right? Makar would have been the closest in age to her. And Makar is the one who married Deanna Dane. He may have considered marrying him to Shiera instead of Deanna Dane. That would have been interesting. Nina doubts it. She says, I don't think Darren wanted to treat the great bastards as equals to himself and his descendants. Aegon IV had seriously undermined Daron's position by his deathbed blanket legitimization, placing Daron in the politically uncomfortable position of suddenly having a number of extramarital siblings whose legitimacy could now never be reversed. I don't think Daron went out of his way to be cruel to them, and indeed, I think he tried to play nice with them, but I think he did what he could to treat them as separate from his own legitimately born line of royals, lest anyone start wondering whether any of these children had more of a right to the throne than Daron himself. And that's another tightrope. Like, well, if I start marrying them into my family, that sort of accepts their the deathbed legitimization and, and furthers that that belief and, and and makes enshrines them as truer Targaryens. They never took the name Targaryen, but if they were to get married to Targaryens, they might say, okay, yes, I am a Targaryen. And yeah. It's still that still might have been better though, because at least you like, I don't know how to say it, but like clean it up a little bit. Yeah. Like, all right. So there's like four great bastards and 30 other bastards. Well, how about these two bastards get married? And now let's mm. move forward. Those are the clear top dog, set precedent, and move on. Especially like once one generation passes, it should like clarify things a little better and have a bunch of lingering ones out there. Or maybe intermarry all of them to each other. Just like, a, look, we're all still part of the same family, you know, and uh, let's just get past this one tricky generation and it'll be more clear moving forward that it's just this same one line. Yeah. You know? Good point. Now, maybe that's hard for him to realize or coordinate or get everyone to agree to, but I, I wonder if that maybe would have been better. Or maybe he wouldn't even got a chance because they're going to rebel before he could piece that together. I don't know. So, in terms of us wondering about Shira's ambitions and wanting to marry someone high, highborn or whatever, if we're believing that Shira had any kind of charm or sorceress abilities or actual ability to do anything like that and was some seductress, well, 
I don't think she had those ambitions then. It's like she failed. She didn't. She never married. That's true. Like, it, you it, think like if she wanted one of those men, point. you kind of think she could have had them. If you're she right. Could have. Yeah, you're right. Like the way it sounds like she could have had any man she wanted, basically. Yeah. And, so it kind of seems like if she was like, yeah, I want to marry an heir to the throne. Like it seems like maybe she could have finagled that. Like if yeah. we believe in in these things said about her. But a I don't good know. Point. That, I don't know that point. we believe but, that. Maybe she thought she was supposed to marry some Dothraki horse lord <laughs> and learn that language trying to get uh, ready uh, for yeah, it. Yeah, she but... sees all these visions of Danny marrying a Dothraki horse lord <laughs> and like sees all that. And yes, yeah, so she does everything to make that happen. I, I like that. And maybe that, that, and seeing Danny marry a young Kai with, or what's the guy? What's the Hisdar or whatever? Yeah. Dargaskari. What, what's his yeah. language? Yeah. 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 Miranese. Miranese, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> yeah. she learned Miranese. That's another one. Yeah. So uh, we've. We theorized that maybe John Hightower and Serenai conspired to have a daughter to, for Serenai's daughter to maybe marry Damon Waters, later Damon Blackfire. Maybe Shiera wanted that for herself. She saw Damon talking about marrying multiple wives and thought maybe I can be one of them later and be married to a king that way. That would have come when she was much younger. And would have maybe been a childish fancy. Like, this is the kind she would have dreamed of when she was like eight. Like, oh, I'm going to marry my brother, Damon. You know, like, everyone has a crush on him. So she may have had that too. <laughs> and when she was older, she was like, actually, never mind. But of course, when she was older, Damon was dead. So there's, that wouldn't have even been possible. It's also possible, Nina says, that after the first Blackfire Rebellion, Daron II, he discouraged Shira from marrying because... He saw what happened marrying Damon Blackfire to Rohan of Tyrosh. That enabled the rebellion. He thought he was maybe trying to shore things up, and it actually led to them having all these children and multiple Blackfire rebellions followed. He only lived through one of them himself, Daron did. But still, that maybe he didn't want to repeat that mistake and say, okay, we're going to not let these other great bastards marry if at all possible. And maybe Shiera took it on herself to not marry for that very reason. She's like, she saw what happened, and she was able to noodle that out herself and be like, I don't want to be a part of all that. I don't need to throw myself into that, into that fire with a Y, fire, and just <laughs> stay back and read her books some more, right? It's just, I want to stick with my scrolls. I'm not interested in rebellions and that kind of crap. She's not interested in politics. Like you said, it doesn't seem like she was that interested. Like she could have married high if she wanted to and it just doesn't seem like she did. You know, I had another thought I had earlier so you said something to the effect, you know, like once once these once Aegon the Unworthy is legitimized, all these bastards. Now you can't really go back on that. They're all legitimate or have this claim going forward. But how true is that? Can someone legitimize some someone else? It's like, kind I mean, of a gray area because King. I don't know if there's any. Yeah. It seems like if you can legitimize them, you can unlegitimize them. Maybe people wouldn't accept it, or maybe there's not precedent, but it's a possibility. But I'm just imagining if if Dwight was king, legitimize, unlegitimize, <laughs> legitimize, unlegitimize. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is interesting. Like, what? How does that? How does that click? Like, how do they? What do they? Do they think it's? It is a very gray area because they never took the name. If they had, what would have happened? What's their status of their children? Had they not rebelled, would have been an interesting question. Like, what if Damon never rebels? How are like what's the status of his children? As far as are they royal? Are they they're princes? But what? Yeah, it really gets into the heart of the way monarchy works, which is the king's word is law. If people follow his orders, like if enough people agree, then yeah, then that's what happens. But if people push back, then 
They don't. Like Ares, like he wanted to burn them all. And Jamie's like, no, you can't. <laughs> yeah, and he you, didn't. You because, can't go too far. Yeah. Yeah. Because Jamie had the sword. And it and helps Ares have didn't. precedent set. And, you know, there's all these things that, you know, traditions a factor and, you know, you know, the power you have at the moment and all, all these things. But, but it seems like, you know, maybe his name was Aegon the Unworthy. And it seemed like he wasn't following traditions. And there's all sorts of motivations to not obey his decrees. But they did. Like, oh, he said it. Well, they're all legitimate now. Well, if Daron then says, okay, they're not legitimate now. Can't, well, well, he said it. They're not legitimate <laughs> now. Like, it seems like it's that easy. You just say it, it happens. Uh, can't we at least run that out there and try? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, so it seems like they tried to play the half measure. Like, yes, they're legitimate, but they're still not... We're not going to fully treat them legitimate. Like, we're going to give them the honor of legitimacy, but not the political rights necessarily and the name. So, yeah, it feels like they sort of did a half measure there. Maybe they degrade their own power. If they set the precedent, the king says X, we say never mind on X. Then that. Then I say Y. Well, they might say never mind on Y. I gotta. I have to stick it with it if I want people to stick with what I say. Exactly. I like if you that. undermine a prior king, it undermines yourself. Yeah. Like if yeah. the king's word, then you're not. You know, the king's word isn't law if you do things like that. Yeah. So some things tricky. are easier to undermine than others, or more yeah. acceptable to undermine than others. Or let's talk yeah. about the duels that were a part of her life. That it says men, not just Blood Raven and Bitter Steel fought over her. Here's a quote. This is just, is just crazy, y'all. Though she never wed, she had many offers and several lovers through the years. Duels were fought over the right to sit beside her. Men killed themselves after falling from her favor. Poets outdid each other writing songs about her beauty. Her most ardent admirer was her half-brother, Bloodraven, who proposed marriage to her half a hundred times. Shiera gave him her bed, but never her hand. It amused her more to make him jealous. So that is not maesterly editorializing. That is also from George. So he it's fact. descriptions of some of these characters yeah. to the artist Amok many years ago. And that's, so that, that's important because it's like, well, if this was a maester, be like, did, he re- did she really amuse her to make him jealous? Yes, because no, George yeah, said yeah, so. Yeah, this no, is a fact. The, that, <laughs> this, this quote is probably the most actual information we have about Shiera's personality of anything like honestly that last line yeah because we would be suspicious of just maesterly saying that like they don't know better and they just interpret it that way but nope that's what it was yeah she liked to play with him a little (laughs) yeah and even this you have to wonder did did it amuse her when she was 16 or when she was 22 yeah you're right you're right Mm -hmm. there though actually that's a very good point and we don't even know how old she got to be some people think she's still alive, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which not the most likely, but hey, Blood Raven's still alive. So yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. the craziest thing ever. Yeah. So yeah. What is her for her favor? I mean, is that like a favor for like riding in a tournament or just like, I say your name kindly. I acknowledge you when you're in the room. What does that even mean? Yeah, when they say falling from her favor, I don't think that's the same as yeah, giving someone your favor in a tourney. Yeah. I think that is like, no, you're no longer to sit exactly next to me to my right. Like you're no longer you... welcome in my bedroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and they kill them. Some of these men, multiple men, plural, killed themselves over this loss. Like, whoa! No wonder people think there was magic involved. Especially men that mm-hmm. never like saw her in person. If you saw her in person, maybe like, oh, I get it. Damn, she's beautiful. But <laughs> but like writing about it after the fact, there's no pictures. You're like, man, is it? 
it almost makes sense to ascribe sorcery in there somewhere. Because <laughs> it's like, oh, I, people are killing themselves over I can't it? use Damn. the words I'd like to use here to describe this, but you can fill in the blanks yourself and be like, blank's so good, it makes men kill themselves. <laughs> <laughs> I think you know the word. Yes, and it's not mismatched eyes. No. <laughs> <laughs> so this is pretty extreme, right? It's very much an inversion of the chivalric romantic duel, women, you know, men fighting for a woman's honor. And the, the best man wins or the most honorable wins. You're like, no, none of them win. <laughs> none of them get that. Some of them maybe get to hook up, but none of them get the marriage. They all get to give gifts. And yeah, it's just so different. So she sees this as entertainment. Maybe she's a little bit, has a little bit of a cruel streak to her. She enjoys the men fighting over her and the attention. It's shades of Sarah Targaryen. Even the name is similar, Sarah and Shiera. Remember, Sarah Targaryen was one of Jaehaerys and Alysanne's daughters, the one who had multiple lovers, which that was a real scandal when you're an actual trueborn princess who they wanted to marry to some lord to shore up their alliances. She never got married. Remember, she ran away, never got married. She escaped. She was sent to be with the Silent Sisters, I think, and escaped and got overseas. And she did all this by charm. Like most of her escape, she like talked dude into like letting her on the ship and like used her beauty to break down barriers that a lot of people would have gotten caught and, and been sent back to where they'd been. But she escaped and then went overseas and her children eventually made their play at the Great Council. And they didn't get very far, but you see why Daron didn't want this person having children necessarily because they could come back and threaten the dynasty later. But yeah, lots of similar. Sarah was kind of out of control. Her father killed one of her lovers in a duel after he dishonored her, you know, supposedly. That was Braxton Beesbury, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so this is a very much a reversal of, of, of the, like, noble, honorable duel for the woman's favor. The, the, the kind of things Sansa grew up fantasizing about and reading these stories about. Sarah or Shiera has totally flipped that script and taken control of it for her own amusement rather than from some, like, ideal that she's trying to live up to. She's like, nah. This is just fun. <laughs> I can't help but wonder if there's another potential there that, for example, maybe Blood Raven is worried about the men that Shira has had relationships with. Yeah. What they might know. They might Ooh. be privy to certain information and he has them killed and makes it look like a suicide. Ooh, wow. <laughs> dark. Man. Whether it's out of jealousy or protection of the secrets of the realm or something like man. that. But. Yeah, I like it. That's dark, but I can buy it because we're getting into one of them. We're about to get into one of the more interesting sections. We haven't talked about magic yet in, in detail. and We're about to. And magic was at use. That's one of the rumors that she and Bloodraven use magic to ferret out secrets, supposedly, as Master Whispers. Yeah, let's get to that in, in a minute. Now, as far as the fact that she had a lot of lovers but never had kids, probably took care of that herself. Like Mozaria said on the TV show, I, made, I took care to make sure I would never have children. She may not have made it permanent, but she may have. I mean, she may have. I mean, she's well-read. She knows tansy tea and the recipes for uh, not having children. Yeah, I wonder if any of her suitors were smart enough to like bring her books. Like that's what she wanted. Like, okay, this guy's you brought me gold, you dumbass. Like I don't you know anything about me. You know, I don't like gold. You see any gold on me now? Like <laughs> Hello, pay attention, golden company. That's why I brought dumbass. it. I thought you needed to. Yeah. <laughs> like if they brought her books, that would be like, okay, this guy at least he's not a dumbass like the others. He at least knows what I like. I mean, that's courtship 101. Give for the person you're trying to woo things they actually like. <laughs> you know, find a few things out about them and be like, okay, you like this? 
Let me get you a good version. Let me get you a fancy rare book. I, I found you signs and portents. You're like, oh, I'm interested now. <laughs> you know, bring me, bring me the Jade Compendium and, you know, I'll fall into your arms, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. So the, Nina says, this is like a re- an inversion, the reverse of Brienne and the, the sick games they played make her think they were actually interested. This is like they, the reverse of that, where Brienne was to them so unattractive that this is okay. It's okay to make fun of her because she's unattractive, where Shiera is the opposite end of the spectrum based on Westerosi beauty standards that are pretty similar to real world ones, at least Western ones. And yeah, so that, what she says here, Nina writes, Brienne was more confused than impressed by the traditional displays of Westerosi romance, but she noted that Hyle's training with her meant more than all the rest. Like when someone actually trained with her, like treated her like a knight in the process like of courtship equal. or the, oh, even better, or like an equal and engaged with her in what she's interested in and treated her like an equal, that meant a lot to her. Like even though she doesn't like her Hyle Hunt, but the fact that he was willing to train with her like, hey, this guy, if he was really trying, this is the right way to do it. He was more cunning in his evil prank because he actually picked something that she would be interested in, something that, that showed respect, even though it was behind that was, was not respect at all. And you think the same thing here with Shara, but in reverse. So that's, that's a very good catch by Nina there. So this rumor here, let's talk, let's get into the magic stuff. This rumor exists about Danny. So think about Shiera when you're hearing this, this quote. I have heard it said that the Silver Queen feeds them with the flesh of infants, while she herself bathes in the blood of virgin girls and takes a different lover every night. Now that's Vagaro's. That's my kind of woman. <laughs> <laughs> that's the widow of the waterfront saying that. What's that? Is that for one night is his kind <laughs> for of woman. One night. Yeah, for one night. The widow, and of course, the widow of the waterfront doesn't believe these rumors. She's just repeating this. This is what people say about Danny. And. Well, what's so interesting about this is the way these rumors are applied. Okay, so the bathing in the blood of virgin girls. Now, let's talk about that one first because it's, it's a little peculiar. When that rumor is said about, say, Danelle Lofton, it's a reference to her red hair in part. And in a few other cases as well. But it can't be when in, in the case of Danny or Shiera because they don't have red hair. They have silver hair. So that's, it's not about, it can't be the hair dye thing that we sometimes think might be what the servants are seeing, like, oh my God, that's blood. No, that's just red hair dye. Well, Seems these like they're two. bathing in some other kind of fluid. Oh. <laughs> oh. Sorry. They... Sorry, everyone. <laughs> it's the flesh of infants. That's what she means. Yeah. No. Uh, no. But there's no. I mean, yeah. Yeah. We know. But there's, so there's, there's <laughs> that doesn't apply here. They can't have stumbled on Danny or Shiera dyeing their hair red because they don't have red hair. That just couldn't be it. I guess Rohan Weber was another one that people say that about. I, I can't remember. But there's some other, it, it comes up with some of the redheads, so it's kind of an easy explanation. But it doesn't work here as an explanation. It's just something that people make up and say, oh, yeah, eats babies. You know, <laughs> just throw that out there. Just the worst, in, the worst slander you can imagine, you know. Ares I is sort of our transition into a more magical era. We know that Daron II had, had a good reign. That was his nickname, and after all, but he wasn't big on magic. He died during the Great Spring Sickness. We know she survived it. We don't know how, if, she, for all we know, she died not long after it. But for all we also know, she lived a long time after it. All we know is she definitely lived, survived the Great Spring Sickness because she's mentioned as having used magic to help Blood Raven as Master of Hand. She's also 
mentioned in the present tense by egg in a quote we're going to get to later. And that quote in the present tense comes after the Great Spring Sickness. So there you go. But it did kill off many of her cousins and, of course, her her half-brother, Daron, the king. So that could have affected her personally, even though it didn't kill her. (laughs) And as a person interested in sorcery, this is where we get back to the part that Ares I is a really compelling king for her to live under when he's the guy that rekindled the dragons will come back prophecy. This is the same era where Eamon, Maester Eamon refers to his brothers having dreams of dragons that killed them all, right? She's at like a young adult right in this era, smack dab in the middle of all this. This is almost unfathomable that she's not involved and it seems likely that she's very involved just behind the scenes a bit. Again, the Red Keep's books, Red Keep's access, big deal. Huge factor here. By the way, Shira still didn't marry Bloodraven after he rescinded to Hand of the King. She didn't, she refused him when before. He kept asking. She kept refusing. So it wasn't his rank, or at least it wasn't enough rank <laughs> for that to matter. Here's that quote between Egg and Dunk to set us up with further discussion of Shira Sea Sorceress. You've known queens and princesses that they dance with demons and practice the black arts. Lady Shira does. Lord Bloodraven's paramour. She bathes in blood to keep her beauty. And once my sister Ray put a love potion in my drink, so I'd marry her instead of my sister Daya. Yeah, like, wait, Daya. what? Egg? What? <laughs> like, how much of that is rumor? Did he witness this? Did he see Shiera? Like, I don't think he's watching Shiera bathe, but I mean, this can't, didn't come from nowhere. I mean, he lived at court, presumably at the same time as her. So it's a kind of like, hmm, this isn't just like a distant rumor about people from afar. The rumor mill, the game of telephone getting expansive and the rumor growing with each retelling. This is, he's pretty close to the source here. And then this business with a love potion. I think if you're young Ray living at court and you want a love potion, you go to Shiera Seastar. You're like, this is the person that would know about such things. Like she's the... You're a young girl. You see the extremely beautiful woman who's like all put together and courtly and assertive, seemingly, and powerful. Sought after. Sought after. You would look to her. She would be maybe a, something of a role model. And you'd be like, especially if you heard she's into magic, like, hey, can you make... So Shira, I'd like to think there's, there's a lot of ways this could go. Shira could have just entertained her, just played along. Like, yep, here's your love potion. Sure, here you go. Here's a love... That's what I tend to, yeah. to lean toward. She just told her it was a love it, And that doesn't eliminate the potential for... The, there or her really being magical, but I still tend to think that yeah. she just gave her some root beer or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I totally think so too. And by the way, that's the sworn sword that quote comes from. But also, yeah, but she's accused of the standard beauty magic, like the blood bathing in beauty, bathing in blood for beauty, which maybe she was using glamours. You know, I mean, she wasn't using them at like eight years, eight years old or something like that, or even 10 or 12 probably, but maybe later in life she was using glamours. I mean, if she's using magic, Bloodraven definitely used glamours, and she's super associated with him. So it really, really makes sense. Maybe she used it to go out in disguise like he did. She could have done some of the same things. She was said to possess a, quote, large arcane library. She surrounded herself with scrolls. So the rumors of magic are not unfounded. Like, she's definitely involved in it. Like, how many spells she was actually casting, who knows? But she was interested in the topic. And her mother was too, though they had no direct connection because her mother died so young, but she inherited whatever her mother had, like whatever books her mom left behind. That may have kicked off her interest. She's like, well, this is my only connection to my mother. I want to 
bond with my dead mother through the possession she left behind and try to take up some of her interests because that's the only connection she has to her. It's a little sad, right? But it makes sense. That's, that's a pretty human thing to do. Like you don't, you have no connection to your family, but you, they leave you some stuff. So you're kind of like, well, this is all I have. I'm going to try to bond with this and explore it and see where it takes me. Well, it just happens. Some of that is scrolls, arcane scrolls and magic and stuff like that. So also, you know, maybe she really did bathe in blood one time just to try it. Yeah. Doesn't mean it worked, but it does mean everyone will talk about it for the rest of the history. <laughs> That's a great point. Yeah. And yeah, and maybe some of these things came from like her, she reconnected with her Lysine family and they, they sent her things and talked to her. Who knows? Yeah. What about divination? Like what about seeing secrets and, and, and seeing the future or looking into the flames or something like that? Here's another quote that, that gets us started on this subtopic. Bloodraven proved to be a capable hand, but also a master of whisperers who rivaled Lady Misery. And there were those who thought he and his half-sister and paramour, share a sea star, used sorcery to ferret out secret. It became common to refer to his thousand eyes and one, and men both high and low began to distrust their neighbor for fear of their being a spy in Bloodraven's employ. I like the reference to his eye because she fits in that so nicely. Like his one eye and his thousand eyes. His two of those thousand eyes are a bright green one and a dark blue one. Yeah. Perceptive pair of eyes. She's highly intelligent and capable. Mm-hmm. Gotta love it. Now he, And maybe traveling around on diplomatic missions, picking up and dropping off information all around. True, true. Nina points out that losing an eye made her, made them even more similar because right? they both have mismatched eyes now. Because <laughs> it's matching because... There's one and then there isn't. <laughs> but while well, hers are two different colors, but still, using magic to help the master of whispers, like that just hits really hard. It seems kind of a straightforward thing to do. We talk about that in a number of cases, like Varus doesn't seem to be using magic, but other master whispers, he's even mentioned Lady Misery here, Mizaria is talked about. Even if you don't use magic or you use magic, it could be a case like Melisandre or Euron where you use some magic, but you also spread rumors about yourself using more magic than you actually do. So you're, Let's say you're a level three magician, but you make it seem like you're a level 13 magician, you know? So that's, uh, that's pretty big. And intimidation and rumor I, are a big part of, of the spy game. I'm actually only a level three wizard, but I make it seem like I'm a level six <laughs> wizard. <laughs> I'm Stormborn, but it was really more of a squall. It was just like a heavy rain. Yeah. And I wasn't really born then. It was really just a few days late. Yeah. Anyway. So those both fit with Mazaria and spreading rumors and Tiana of the Tower as well, who's also rumored to be someone who ferreted out secrets, especially because you have Magor, who was very cruel and harsh and Bloodraven isn't cruel, but he was harsh. He was a hardliner in a lot of ways. And so you kind of see this sort of spy network of, of secret police that's very kind of authoritarian under Bloodraven. And, and if Shiera was helping that engine run, yeah, like I wonder what relationship she had with the Raven's Teeth. Did she have... Raven's teeth guarding her half the time, like following her around, protecting her, like like a detachment of a few of them to keep her safe around the Red Keep. Who knows? Did she have dragon dreams? I would guess not, but it's definitely possible. And she might have had other ways to use divination. I mean, maybe, I don't know that she had a glass candle, but all the people to have insight into how they might work, she would be one of them. Damon the second. It would add to her and Blood Raven seeming magically powerful. Yeah. between them, they had a glass candle they were sharing so they could just know things that people were like, 
How can they possibly know that, you know? Yeah. And combine that with spies and a secret passage and all this other stuff, they can really put up a front of having more knowledge and power than it seems possible without magic, which might also have the effect of making people just tell you anyway. Yeah, like, like that's what Varus I'll does. find out anyway I'm magical, so just tell me now and save us both the trouble. You know? Varus is introduced as so good at his job that people assume he's got black magic. And then later you're like, no, this guy hates magic. <laughs> he's just really yeah. good at spies. You know, of course, maybe he's fooled us and into th- in thinking he hates magic and he really is into it. But, but there's no evidence of that. It just seems like, no, he's just a really damn good spy. And so are, I mean, Bloodraven and Cher, maybe they were too. But they probably did have the magic. And another interesting thing about Bloodraven and the idea that there's dreams or some prophecy that they're worried about for the future, Aegon's dream, however you want to phrase it or call it. At some point, Bloodraven, whether early in life, later in life, it's a big open question. He got on that track. He found himself communicating with some green seer, I guess they brought him into the fold somehow, just how it looks just like how Bran was brought into the fold. I'm not saying I know exactly what happened. Of course I don't. We we have a lot of theories in our Blood Raven episodes about what might have happened here. But at some point, he became concerned with that. And if he was still connected to Shiera Sea Star at that time, he would have absolutely told her. And maybe she would have been reading about it as well. Or maybe she could cor- corroborate it from things she'd already read or dreamed or something. And then they're, all, then they're off to the races, like, oh my God, this is real. This is a big deal. And then that opens up all kinds of possibilities with Bloodraven and with maybe with her help and or consent, manipulating the succession. Like one of our theories is that Arian didn't just drink wildfire because he was drunk and crazy. Someone kind of like egged him on to get him out of the way because he was set to be king and no one wanted that. And if anyone's going to take care of that, it could be Bloodraven or even Shiera Seastar. Like, no. Arian was interested in black magic as well. That's a kind of an untapped subplot that he was involved in magic. But this guy involved in magic, now this does not seem like a match for someone like Cher or Bloodraven to work with on magical topics because he's, I mean, he's a Joffrey. <laughs> you know, like who can, yeah. you can't work with a guy like that. Like this isn't the careful, cautious approach you need to, to work with magic. This is a guy that drinks wildfire when he's drunk. I mean, you can't, you can't work with that. So you can see why they would want him maybe out of the way. Like if you're really, this is, this is pretty tinfoily. But it's within the realm of possibility that they that they had a hand in, in murdering him or, or tricking him into doing something that would get him killed. As much as like Cersei getting Robert drunk, like yeah, Robert did him to himself, but Cersei pushed it along. They enabled know? it. They were like, let's let's create yeah. the scenario where the where the best case for us could happen. Eventually, they keep getting him drunk hunting. He's gonna die. <laughs> yeah, it may not happen. Yeah. They were lucky that it happened that particular time. I mean, to serve the story, kind of needed to, but. <laughs> Like maybe Shara and Bloodraven were themselves curious. What happens if we drink Dragonfire? Like, yeah. would it work? We read this spell. Let's get Arian to do it. Like, it's a win-win. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can if he if he if he kills himself, then thank goodness we didn't kill ourselves and we're rid of him. If it doesn't kill him, if it hatches a dragon, well, we're doing it next. Yeah. <laughs> so I really there's it's super wide open. Like Dame, Damon the Second had prophetic dreams. So there's a, yet another person in this era that had you know, dragon dreams, prophetic dreams. There's a lot of it in this era, maybe even more so than any other era. Might be because there's no dragons and everybody's, the dreamers are picking up on these dream waves that are out there. They're the, pro, it's the closer the prophecy comes to f- being true, the, the closer to the point in the real timeline when it comes to happening, the more the dreams start to happen because the event is closer in proximity. Trying to explain the unexplainable, trying to make put logic on something that's kind of illogical, but hey, it's fun to do that. <laughs> Ares, considering Ares and, and the 
dragons returning and bloodlines. You wonder if he had a thought to marry Cher to someone because she has, you know, proper Valyrian heritage and that might, they might need to ensure that that bloodline propagates. But obviously that wasn't enacted. Ares didn't have her marry anyone. It's maybe a dead end of theory there. In the year 219, the third Blackfire Rebellion happened. This is the one we know the least about. George clearly decided to hold off on fully describing it in order to write it at a later date. What we do know is that it was another defeat for Bittersteel. It was the closest probably that they came to winning, arguably, maybe the first one they were even closer. But something super interesting here that, that relates to Shiera was that Bittersteel and Hagon Blackfire. Hagon was the, the number one Blackfire at the time. And Bittersteel were both captured. Someone killed Hagon in captivity. We don't know who it was. It, was, it may have been Arian. It may have been Bloodraven. And Bloodraven argued that they execute Bittersteel too. Ares said no. It's like, no, we're going to spare him and send him to the wall. What did Shiera say? She probably had a voice in this. It may not have been a voice that anyone listened to, but I kind of tend to think she had influence as given everybody who cared about what she thought. All these men like trying to win her favor and Bloodraven clearly worked with her. I feel like Ares would have at least valued her opinion on some things. I don't suspect she pushed for his death, but Bloodraven certainly did. Did she even, maybe she argued for Hagon too. Maybe that was, maybe she was involved in that one way or another. She argued against killing him and someone killed him anyway. And maybe that, maybe this was some part, something that put a wedge between her and Bloodraven. And then she's like, look, I, I love you both. Or I don't love either of you. Maybe, you know, there's so many <laughs> open possibilities here that she was turned off by him wanting to execute his brother. It's also possible that she's the mole. He escaped captivity on the way to the wall, which is like, whoa, that is some escape artist stuff. Harry Houdini business there, just escaping <laughs> a ship on the way to the wall. Someone told. There's other possibilities beside her, but she would be in a position to. If anyone's going to know like when the ship is departing, what ship it is, yeah, it's possible that it was her, that she is, the, she's like, I don't want my brother to go to the wall. Or she just enjoys the fight between her brothers so much. Like, I'm going to, Make sure he escapes so they can do this all over again. Yeah, like it's possible she's that kind of evil, <laughs> you know, that she enjoys men fighting. She had a lot of it in her life, men fighting over her. She may have gotten cynical about it, you know, like these idiots. <laughs> so, yeah. The next reign after the third Blackfire Rebellion would have been two years later, would have began. Makar started his reign in the year 221. And that would have been 12-year reign. And Egg would have been elected king following the Great Council of 233. Was she there? Was she part of the Great Council? Was she one of the people pushing for someone or not pushing for someone or arguing one side or another? Was she for Ag? Was she even alive then? Yeah. Like, was she just decided to go elsewhere? She went to court somewhere. Maybe she was an ambassador to some other city or maybe she just left. Maybe she went to Ashai. She's like, you know, there's lots of magic there. I can, there's all sorts of things I can do there. Maybe, yeah, maybe under Makar, things weren't so great. Makar is a hardliner, kind of a jerk. Maybe he didn't let her do things. I mean, Makar changed his tune. He, he, he named Bloodraven Hand after for a long time being bitter that Bloodraven was named Hand over him. So something changed in his mind or he was willing to accept Bloodraven. Maybe he was just mad at his brother and not so mad at the guy that he was chosen, chosen to protect or replace him or take his spot that he thought was going to be his. A lot of personnel, a lot of personal feelings and beliefs that are untapped here that could really change the picture. But I'm very curious to know if she was there. And what about during the Great Council, Aenys Blackfire 
Remember what this is what got Blood Raven sent to the wall, right? He he's like, yes, Annie's Blackfire, come, come make your play at the Great Council, give your speech, do your thing. One of my theories is that Annie's was surprisingly convincing, and uh, B- B- Blood Raven's like, oh crap, this guy is actually like a really good speaker. <laughs> he's making a good points, so I got to kill him. <laughs> so he may have pivoted to that plan to kill him, but more likely he just planned to kill him all along, invited him there as a trap and be like, okay, you dumbass, you, you came here and now I'm going to kill you. Now that got Blood Raven sent to the wall when Egg took the crown. He's like, no, nah, you can't. The crown's word was sullied here. You, 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 you were, you acting as the crown lied to someone and the whole world saw it. We can't have that. Our word has to be as good as gold. <laughs> as vulgar as that may be. <laughs> Especially in this type of scenario. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the whole realm. Maybe it's one thing in the middle of war, you're trying to figure out where to divvy up the troops and you tell a commander that you'll give them three ships, but then you don't because someone else needed more. But this is like relatively a time of peace and a time of diplomacy. This is, you know what I mean? This is like a a moment where people need to be able to trust you, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it's a, a bad precedent to set. It's really interesting to consider Shiera here. Did Shiera know he was going to do that? Did she know he was going to kill Annie's Blackfire? Like that was because like he may have confided in her that was his plan. Like if they worked close together, and if they were still working close together at that point, she might have known a lot of what he was going to do before he did it because they talked it through. It's it's very unclear on how much they operated in concert or or you know whether he just did these things on his own or who knows. And she may have argued against it. She may have argued for it. She may, but she may have been able to tell him, well, this is a bad idea. You know, like because for you personally, politically, like this is going to get you fired. She may have seen that coming and he may have been like, nah, or just I got to do it. Or he just hates the Blackfire so much that he made a bad decision because he's, he's so full of hate. Either way, their relationship, if it still exists at that point, would certainly be over by then because he's going to the wall. Which another possible wrinkle here is maybe this is why he was so reckless. Maybe she died. And he was bereft. Maybe she left him for good. Like, no, I'm moving to Asha. You'll never see me again. Or maybe never see me again. And he was just like sad about this. And, you know, took things too far because he was in his things in his personal life were going bad. Which brings us back to Barrison's quote about how major decisions that affect the entire realm can come because one dude feels jilted. One guy, the guy in charge... His wife left him or his child died and now his decision-making is, is suspect because he's just so personally wrecked and can't do things properly anymore. I wonder if Blood Raven's rash decision here was something to do with his personal life with Shira. Total uh, theory, nothing to suggest that directly, but uh, I think there's some merit to the idea, at least, even if it is kind of random. And because she's magical and her death is uncertain and because her lover is still alive, former lover, there are theories that she is too. One pot, one of the theories suggests she is Quaith. Her dream mask is made of starlight. The eyes don't match though. Quaith's eyes aren't, the color isn't described. They're called wet. So you could, so they're described. Like it's, someone has looked at these eyes and described it. If they were mismatched, you'd really think that would, we'd see that. <laughs> Another theory suggests she's the mother of Melisandre. The timeline is pretty tight on that possibility. It does. It is possible. She would. The idea would be that she went to Ashai to learn and practice more sorcery, and then got enslaved while she was over there. And then her child is Melisandre, whose earliest memories are being sold at auction. For more on this idea, check out Radio Westeros' episode of Melisandre. You know, just thinking about that 
just thinking about Melisandre. I don't know. I'm just thinking about the parallel of like Stannis being in this trek. And then this witchy woman comes along and says, you need to go to the wall. Mm-hmm. I wonder if Blood Raven was on some certain yeah. track and Sheriff Seastar's like, no, you need to go to the wall. That is a good, good idea. Whatever reason, whatever vision they had, whatever intention or motivation, I, I wonder if there's a parallel to be had there. It's a good idea because people have wondered along the lines of when did Bloodraven decide he needed to start working towards saving the realm from the great winter that's coming rather than being hand to the king? When did, they, when did he transition from one to the other? And did he get sent to the wall? Some people think he got sent to the wall on purpose. He knew he would get sent to the wall. Right. That's a little much for me, but he knew exactly what the penalty would be. But also he could just voluntarily take the black, you know, if he wanted to. I don't know if it's... It might not be a stretch that he knew what the penalty would be because... He might have proposed it ahead of time. Oh, okay. He might have said, well, what if I kill him? Well, then I'll send you to the wall. Okay. Okay, let's do that. <laughs> what like, are you going to do? Send me to the wall? He kind of like set it up so that that was the So penalty. he knew, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I guess I could see that. I think whatever, the idea though, connecting this to Shira, whatever point at which these visions came to him where this became clear, I imagine they were connected on this. Like they talked about it or they had discussed it previously or assuming she's still alive that she would have been involved and maybe would have been aware, at least, of what he was doing and maybe even the importance of it, which, which is part of why some people think she's still alive because Quaith is trying to steer Danny without ambition, apparently, towards saving the world, right? So that is part of why yeah. it's connected here. It's like, okay, well, we've got Bloodraven on one side trying to save the world through Bran. Well, what about this other main player, like his... Right, and you still got the Golden Company involved in, in between these plot lines. So, the, the Great Bastards are still having their huge impact on Westeros even now. It's pretty cool. And when Bran discovers Blood Raven in the cave beyond the wall, he mentions Blood Raven does a girl he desired. He pauses. He's like a girl I, a woman I desired. He's indicating maybe that he never loved her, or maybe that's just bitterness. Maybe he's, maybe because she didn't reciprocate as much as he wanted to, he just tells himself that now. <laughs> just because his brother's name is bitter doesn't mean he can't be bitter too. <laughs> maybe he doesn't want to cloud Bran's judgment of things. Okay. Like, just saying that now, 10 years from now, Bran might think, I never got the chance to love anyone. You know, like, mm. it's hard to know what effects that might have as a yeah. mentor to a young boy. It's a good you know? point, because Bloodraven, from a, from a rational perspective, is like, this kid's got to get to saving the world now. He doesn't have time to be a kid. Yeah. He doesn't have time for love and all this other stuff. So yeah, maybe he's trying to just poison the well of love because he just, he doesn't have that luxury. It's pretty sad, but we kind of understand. Hmm. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> from Kirsty Angel. Her eyes remind me of Alyssa Targaryen. That's a good point. Alyssa Targaryen did have a green eye and a blue eye. That's a great point. I'm kind of surprised I missed that. And what, Doesn't Tyrion have a green eye and a blue eye? Green and a black eye. Green and a black eye. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Close, but not quite. Yeah. Some people wonder if that black eye is, is, is like dark purple, but that would be, be kind of a giveaway <laughs> of a heritage that may not be his. So Kirsty Angel says, her eyes remind me of Alyssa Targaryen. Shara Seastar sounds like Shahrazad in A Thousand One Nights links to Blood Raven's A Thousand One Nights. Oh yeah, see, see Kirsty mm. pointed something Shahrazad out in a couple episodes ago. And here we are again. That's so cool. It keeps coming back up. And George, of course, is aware of that story. George is such an avid reader. He's aware of all these things. So maybe that would sunk into his consciousness. Yeah, A Thousand Eyes in One, A Thousand One Arabian Nights. Yeah, that is... That's just Shahrazad, Shira Seastar is like some ah. <laughs> you know, parallel to yes. the word. It's, you know, the pronunciation, whatever. That's cool. I like it. And 
she's also wondering if old Nan at Winterfell is maybe related to the Starks through their dad and mother based on the storytelling. Yeah, it's, you know, we have, old Nan's a really wonderful mystery. I don't think she's related to the Starks because we're told that she came, or she says she came to Winterfell for a young Brandon. So it will be a wet. That doesn't sound like she was a Stark. You don't, you know, she wasn't part of Winterfell and she was brought in as a wet nurse. It doesn't really sound like something a Stark would do. That's it's like, that's the duty of someone of a lower station, you know, for the way they handle things. But you never know what, what an old man's heritage is. She could have some Stark blood in her from way back. Who knows? Who knows? Okay. Trivia answer. The question was, which men have bathed in blood? In the series, Share a Sea Star guest Sam. That's correct. Sam did bathe in blood. His father forced him to bathe in bull's blood to make him lose his cowardice. He didn't like it so much. It made him throw up. Shocking. That would probably make me throw up too. <laughs> it's pretty nasty. Anime lover Nicole guest Roos. I don't think Roos has bathed in blood. He's had the leeches on him. And he talks about bad blood, but I don't think he's bathed in it. Maybe he has. I could be wrong. I didn't find that in my searching. Scott W. said Kyle Drogo, which is correct. That's the other one. He did bathe in blood. His stallion, his own stallion's blood was put into the bath with him. Mm -hmm. And that was part of the ritual with Mary Mazdur. Yes, people, you did well on the guesses there. I'm proud of Shara Seastar. Yeah, Shara Seastar got one of them. <laughs> she knows her stuff. <laughs> I appreciate that Sam and Carl Drogo have in common <laughs> bathing in blood. Yeah, what else do those two have in common? That's <laughs> <Yeah, not much. laughs> <It's> a... <laughs> hilarious, yeah. <laughs> Drogo didn't need the bath gonna, to give courage for courage. He needed gonna, it to gonna, like <laughs> live, you know. Are you gonna come up with a Neither parallel did line Sam. between Sam Charlie and Carl Drogo? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Both oh. have had sex. Both have <laughs> did blood. Both. Call Samwell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maester uh, Drogo. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine them reversed? Like Sam at the head of the Colossar, like <laughs> leading the, whereas Drogo at the pouring over an old book, like pouring that is some book. that is the tallest maester I've ever seen. <laughs> Don't do. Yeah, just do not mess with that maester. Cheese. <laughs> he's like ripping other. He's like like that guy's where he just rips the chain right off, you know, and pulls someone's head off with it. <laughs> do, do we have any examples? Do we specifically know that Cal Drogo has killed someone with one blow? Yeah. <laughs> Because uh, Sam has killed someone with one blow, so that would be another parallel true. to... <laughs> on the show, he did, but I don't, I don't think we, we see him oh, kill maybe anyone. We don't, on, know that. I don't think we see him kill anyone on TV, uh, in the books. He just, it's all Didn't after he kill that. another? Didn't he no, kill with the... Uh, talking about Drogo. Oh, right, did Drogo ever kill anyone with a single blow? Yeah, I don't... I mean, he surely did, but we don't see it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and we actually never see him fight at all in, in the books, just in the show. He, he kills that yeah. uppity co or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> So, next week, Blackfires and Mandalorians. Some episodes we mentioned, if you want to stay immersed. The entire Blackfire series. Aegon the Unworthy, Dare on the Good, Bittersteel, Damon Blackfire, lots of blood. We have multiple Blood Raven episodes. Those are all very relevant. She comes up here and there in those. She's not directly involved in the war effort, though, so some more than others. Radio Westeros' episode of Melisandre, as I just mentioned a few minutes ago, is a good example as well. And other things from this era... The, some of the things that happened before, like the Daron the First or Baylor the Blessed. Lots of things we've got. You look at our back catalog and you will probably find something that tickles your fancy to further your Westeros immersion. 
Thanks to everyone who came and hung out in the live chat. We appreciate your presence. It adds a lot to our discussions. Y'all's takes often make their way into our episodes. So do your votes on Sean's drinking of salt (laughs) and soy and... Soy and pickle juice. Crazy. I see you get some smoke in there. Yeah, I'm like, I I don't know what clip I might do for this episode, but it might be Sean doing his shot of pickle, of soy and pickle juice. I'm like, if you didn't know, this happens. We like to clip the the lowest brow content from each episode. Yeah. (laughs) That'll show them. Yep. No, it's fun. We like to we like to highlight our sense of humor. Hmm, yes, we do. Yeah. And if you haven't been watching our little shorts because you watch us live, I hope you at least checked out. We did a little TikTok and short about our friend Chuck, who's also a listener, did a Kermit Tully cosplay, and we were all dressed up as green men. So he interviewed us on whether it was easy being green. And the clip's quite <laughs> amusing to me. And so if you, if you haven't watched that, please check it out. Cliff Notes, it's not. No, easy it's hard to green. use your phone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, check that out. Follow History of Westeros on TikTok. You can also follow us on Instagram. I'm Azizel Fretz. I'm going to get a cat. Sean's yeah. going to go get a cat. On Sean Instagram, is dancing, Sean. I, I, he's not on Instagram, though. Oh, um, that's right. He's on Twitter. On Instagram, though. I am Ashea Tara. Ashea Tara. Yeah. Look at that kitty, that midnight Aww. cat. Very still, very, very relaxed. Yeah. Thanks to our. By the way, Sam and, Sam and Drogo both. Rescued a woman from an abusive incestuous family. <laughs> sort of, yeah. I rescued, you know. Rescued one, rescued them and put them into another one, but it wasn't incestuous. <laughs> <laughs> Still, that's a uh, parallel. You're you're not wrong. Thank you to as well to anyone who supports us financially on Patreon or Spotify. You can also make a one-time donation through our website if that is a better method for you. We will respond to your donation with links to our bonus episodes, of which there are many. Thanks very much to Nina for her great takes. Always appreciate that. She always adds a lot of insight to our episodes. I think without her insight, we would oh, our show wouldn't be as good. So thanks to Nina. Check out goodqueenalley.tumblr.com for more of her thoughts and great takes on a variety of A Song of Ice and Fire topics. Thanks to Joey, Jesse, and Bran for our music and intro. Thanks to Michael Klarfeld for the maps and our original video intro. Thanks to our Benjineer. Haven't shouted him out in a bit, but he is still our main man on sound quality. He just had a birthday. Yeah, he, did. he did. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday. Benjineer. You know who else had a b- birthday recently? It was Roy Dotrice. Would have been 100 before he's still with us. Mm. Wow. So that, that's only a few weeks ago he would have turned 100. So I know not everyone loves his, his rendition. I do. I'm a Roy stan. I think he he is an important part of having brought A Song of Ice and Fire to a lot of people. And you should acknowledge his contributions just to, and the fact that it's a really impressive thing to do all those voices, even if I love he shouldn't him. have been doing all those voices because a <laughs> 70-year-old man doing a young girl's voices yeah. is not really a thing you should be asking someone to do. Even if I'm not a fan of him as voices, I am a fan of him as Wisdom Helene in Game of Thrones. I thought right. he was great in the show as well. He was originally, I think most of you know this already perhaps, but he was originally going to be Maester Pycelle instead yeah. of Julian Glover, but uh, he was ill. He got ill, so Julian Glover came in to replace mm-hmm. him, which is fine. Julian Glover did a fantastic job, and Julian Glover that way was able to be both a Game of Thrones and Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. I mean, and, sorry, not Empire Strikes Back. I said Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back. I meant Star Wars. It, technically, it was Empire Strikes Back that he was in, but I meant to say Indiana Jones. <laughs> he was in that also, so that's an interesting trifecta. Probably some other big names, too. Plus, he has a Game of Thrones name. He's a Glover. Yay. Yeah. 
All right, folks, we will see you next week for Mandalorians and Blackfires and sneak preview. In two weeks, we'll be doing an episode on Highgarden. Yeah, patrons voted on that one too, Yay. so we're, we're a little ahead in our schedule there. Hey, Look forward to that. Very cool. All I right, didn't folks. know that yet, actually. Yeah. So that was a surprise for me. Technically, the poll doesn't end till tomorrow, but it would be crazy for Highgarden to lose the poll. We're going to see like a bunch of like Sunspear Martell fans come in and be like, screw Highgarden. <laughs> yeah. If they knew that they were, yeah, Sunspear is in second place. So, you know, you could. Yeah, no, it's Martell not. Actually, fans, it's not. come up. It's not. There's no Rise Sunspear up. in there. Hiss. Hiss. <laughs> Sunspear's not winning choices. It was Highgarden, okay. the yeah. Eerie. Pike and something else that lost. <laughs> well, I, I was more saying that they would come in and just vote for something else. Oh, yeah, just to, just to knock Highgarden out. Tyrell, yeah. You know. yeah, you're right. You're uh, right. <laughs> cool. All right, folks, you know what to do. Until next time, Valar, re-read us.